Working Dog Radio. Broadcasting hey everybody, the it's Ted. Everybody remembers Pat and Nolan from uh, the Bravo 3 episodes, which uh, Eric and I are going to be at that again uh, next year. And then also the episode we just did a couple weeks ago uh, talking about e-collars. In that episode, Pat and Nolan talked a lot about the proper use of reward markers. We had a lot of positive feedback on that, and a lot of people wanted to hear more from him. Until we managed to have him back on, the easiest way to get some more info was to mark your calendars from November 15th at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. He's going to be having a live webinar. Don't worry if you can't attend the webinar live as everybody that signs up will receive a recording of the webcast for your training library. Are you tired of fighting for control of your dog in training and on the streets? You know, one of the things we talked about during that podcast was the idea of competing motivators. And Pat addresses it there. Then he addresses it in this webinar very, very well. Uh, do you wish you had a way to explain what you want and a way to let the dog know how it can get what he wants from you and how you can get what you want out of the dog? Do you wish to put as much effort into obeying your commands as he does into chasing his tug or his ball? This is the way to do it. Training and drive is what Pat calls it. And the proper use of reward markers will improve your control, reduce conflict, and it'll speed up training without reducing the dog's drive and desire for work, which is something we all want. In fact, it's one of the things that we wash dogs for most. It's not for lack of identification of odor. It's for lack of willingness to work. Pat will be joined by his wife, Connie Cleveland, who is also a professional trainer and really good in her own right, who competes in obedience and field trial competitions. So hit him up at patnolan.com. That's P-A-T-N-O-L-A-N.com. And there'll be a sign-up page there. Also, we'll put it in the show notes. This episode of Working Dog Radio is being brought to you by Highland Canine Training, LLC, offering unbeatable police canine training and handler education programs that are science-based, research-driven, and some of the most progressive programs in the industry. Go check them out at www.tacticalpolicecaninetraining.com. That's Tactical Police, the letter K, the number nine, training.com. Astute trainers with proper training tools are always the key to unleashing your dog's full potential. For over 30 years, Doctor has collaborated with industry professionals to create class-leading tools for e-collar training, GPS tracking, and ball training to support dog owners in developing top-notch working dogs. Trusted by professional dog trainers, canine officers, and hunters, Doctor enhances your training journey with durable training products equipped with patented, accurate, intuitive controls and technology to ensure the best experience. Join us, and together we can make every dog exceptional. Find them at dogtra.com. We here at Working Dog Radio are so proud of our relationship with Southern Coast Canine. Bill Heiser does some amazing work down there in Florida. Go see for yourself all they have to offer at www.southerncoastcanine.com. That's Southern Coast, the letter K, the number nine dot com. Southern Coast Canine. Better training, better results, better dogs. All right, everybody, we are back. Working Dog Radio broadcasting the bite. Uh, my name is Eric Stanbro. With me, as always, is my co-host, Ted Summers in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Ted, how are you? Ah, doing great. Um, it is, uh, they say winter's not here yet, but I don't believe it's supposed to snow tonight, so I'm super stoked. And uh, not I don't. I got super <laughs> stoked. Are you insane? <laughs> no, I got handler school tomorrow. We're supposed to be tracking at 7 a.m. And if there's like a 150% uh, yeah. chance of snow at 7 a.m., I'm like, you know what? 
We might be doing drugs in the morning. Yeah, so the, the handlers will be happy. They're like, oh, yeah. he went that way. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, that's what I said. I told, I told Scott, I was like, we don't even be dragging the snow. It's cheating. Right, right. So uh, you got a um, bunch of dogs in the kennel right now? Yeah, I've got uh, three that are going to deliver in two weeks. Uh, I've got four that are being delivered in another two weeks. And then I've got another three that are being delivered in another two weeks after that. And then we still like three or four more committing for starting to get delivered at the end of like like March-ish. So, yeah. Good. Yeah, like fun shit. Plus, I'm still working the two that aren't even sold yet. So, Fruit Bat and Cruz are just kind (laughs) of looking at me like they don't have anywhere to go. So, yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So, how old is Fruit Bat now? She is two twenty-one months, I think. Twenty-two, twenty-one months old. And uh, oh, yeah, okay. yeah. Nice, nice. Yeah, she's I'm almost done. I mean, little one. Yeah, she's almost done, ready to go. So. Yeah. So you remember? Uh, you remember earlier this year, about seven months ago, almost. I had that litter of uh, lab puppies. Right. And so I had the pregnant dog that, you know, that I bought pregnant unbeknownst to me and she had a lot right, of right. puppies. And uh, so I kept, I kept the runt, Jessie, everybody that follows me on social media, seen pictures of little Jessie Joe, and she's be- been like the best puppy ever. Um, and I sold all the rest of them except for one. I kept back the, uh, the one female that I thought was um, that... <laughs> the most work acumen you know the word most potential out, out of a puppy um and uh so i got contacted by um the ohio uh, state fire marshal's office they're looking for uh, a bomb dog you know candidate and even though she's a little young they wanted to come take a look at her she's uh an amazing little puppy she does not loves toys, hoards toys at the daycare, chases, uh, retrieves anything you throw, super social, environmentally sound, climbs up everything, over everything, under and through. And um, so she, uh, I, I took her out Thursday and I said, Thursday or Friday? And I say, yeah, we'll go test her hunt. You know, so I get out there and I play retreat for a little bit. And she's going out and chasing a tennis ball. And then she chases a Kong. And she chases uh, a tug or whatever else I throw. And then I try to get her hunted. The dog will not go hunt for it. Won't, won't, if she doesn't see it, will not leave your side. Uh. Uh, she just sits there with her mouth open, smiling, looking at me. So, um, you know. That's why we'll talk, because with our guests here, we're going to get into the dog business pretty heavy. And I, I see all these people that they buy and get into puppies and don't understand what a gamble and, and the failure rate of puppies is. And this is a dog that, um, in all aspects, looks amazing uh, until that one little thing. You know what I mean? Right. And so uh, I'm going to keep messing with her and... You know, hide some food and stuff and see what happens. But I told the the marshals not to bother even coming up Tuesday. You know, that uh, it would be a waste of their two-hour drive. So I kind of yeah. bummed out about that. Not that I, I wasn't planning on making a, 
a bunch of money. That's not the point. It was, you know, I want to give this little girl a job and, right. uh, you know, maybe get an in with some folks. But but anyways, she's, so she's here at my house now. She was at Allie's, my, the ladies, the head trainer on my pet side in my business. Right. She uh, whelped the puppies for me and she had Bonnie. We call her Bonnie. Um, so now I have these yellow lab Jesse and Bonnie and they're like freaking battle it's like a battle royale down in the basement <laughs> they're knocking shit over and run they just play 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 so you know at least Jesse has somebody to hang out with but uh, anyways um, enough of my boohoo sad story so uh, we're gonna move on to our guest uh, this is unbeknownst to some of you folks this is the third time we've tried to to record some things with this guest and it just hasn't worked out but we're happy to have him on here um, it's uh, he's become a really good close friend of mine his name is Aaron Taylor from Ridgeside Canine in Loudoun County Virginia Aaron how are you doing fantastic gentlemen thanks for uh, bringing me back it's, it's been a little bit of a hustle to bring us all on the same page but I'm honored that you guys are keeping it going and I'm happy to do this again with you thanks so um, We'll get into we'll get into Aaron's uh, history, um, a little bit of his uh, background. Aaron was uh, in the military and a, and a law enforcement officer for quite a bit of time and canine handler and all that. And he'll he'll go through his his uh, resume here. Um, what we brought Aaron on to talk about is uh, running a canine business. Um, we have a seminar that we're going to be teaching at. Uh, Ted and I and Aaron in uh, Pittsburgh in April of next year, the Blue Line Canine Seminar. And Aaron is teaching a class on how to run a successful canine business. Um, and, and in this, canine means police dogs, contract dogs, puppies, pet dogs, everything everything you need to know. We're going to get into why uh, it's really hard to get into the canine, the actual police canine side, and be successful. Um, and uh, Aaron, Aaron has really, really had a huge explosion in the last couple of years in his business and it isn't for a lack of work this dude hustles 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 if you follow him on instagram or facebook at ridgeside canine uh, llc you will see this dude is everywhere working 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 all the time sun up to sundown and um he'll get into some things here about basically if you ain't ready if you ain't willing to do that you'll never make it so um aaron with that let's uh let's jump into your history here a little bit hey thank you thank you i appreciate it um for those of you guys that don't know, I met uh, Eric. Everybody kind of wants to know the associations, and this is a good uh, business lesson, so take me notes here for a second. Uh, a friend of mine, Tank, Mo- Tank Mosley, had uh, for a while there, he was doing treadmill talks. I think he might bring that back at some point, so follow him if you guys uh, want some really good uh, canine uh, back and forth. Tank interviewed Eric. Uh, I kind of watched the interview. I watched all of them, and I associated with Eric, and uh, I really felt for what he was saying. And I could tell from the interview he was kind of on the fence, on the cuff of a pretty serious career change one way or the other. So I reached out to Eric uh, one-on-one. We talked for a couple hours that afternoon, I believe, and um, made a pretty good association. Through that conversation, I realized that he was actually coming to a city department very, very close to me. Uh, it's a sister agency. They actually use our police academy in Loudoun County. And uh, the individual that actually made contact with Eric, I was very good friends with. We actually went through the police academy together back in 2004. So I said, man, this is just a, a good example of just small world on small world on small world. I reached out to that guy. I went out to their uh, city department while Eric was there doing a mini seminar. And we trained together for two days. And um, everything that I had heard, I, I knew who Eric was prior I said, okay, this guy's a real deal, and uh, now I'm seeing it firsthand, and, and he is a real deal, and I had a lot of respect for that. 
And uh, me and Eric talk quite a bit offline about different tactics and uh, uh, different ways to uh, generate revenue, which is critical for the business. So my background, I was in the Marine Corps from 1998 to 2004. I was still on terminal leave when I got hired at the Loudoun County Sheriff's Office and literally transitioned directly out of the Marine Corps into law enforcement. Uh, that was a very hard transition for me personally, uh, but I did survive it. And a lot of people say that law enforcement is paramilitary. I, I would disagree with that statement uh, 100%. That it's not paramilitary, it's, it's law enforcement. And there is apples and oranges difference in it as there should be. Um, spent the next 14 and a half years with the Loudoun County Sheriff's Office right up until August 28th of this year, which was my official retirement date that I took early retirement and uh, walked away from literally a dream job with a very good department. And while I was in law enforcement, I started on midnight patrol, went over to community policing, which at the time was a street crimes unit, uh, left that to get into narcotics. I uh, was on auxiliary SWAT uh, the entire time, left narcotics and went into full-time SWAT. And while I was on a full-time SWAT team, got into K-9. Uh, I was the first full-time SWAT K-9 handler in the DC metro area. Um, there's a lot of reasons why departments don't do that. I think more of them should. But it was an awesome time and an awesome venture and uh, a really good way to get a lot of deployments with the dog. Uh, with that being said, I still think the, the best place to be on K-9 is going to be on midnight shift. And I did end my career being on midnight shift with a dog as far as call volume uh, for in-progress deployments. You just can't beat it. And during the course of all that, uh, law enforcement, right around 2009, 2010, I went back to school. Uh, to George Washington University and got my degree from George Washington. And while I was at school, I, I, I really started to pull uh, a lot of visions together in my head. I, I, I've always enjoyed the entrepreneur lifestyle. I've always thought that movement was was very strong, but I always had a fear of failure. I always had a fear of, you know, a constant paycheck and I needed to, you know, stay in the government. I, I, I was worth a large department, 800 man department. I made good money. Uh, and that's a very subjective statement, but good money in the realm of policing. And um, I thought, you know, if I stepped away from this and failed, my God, it would be, you know, the biggest failure in my adult life. And it still could be. But uh, I learned nothing when I went back to school, to be quite, quite honest with you. A uh, pretty prestigious yeah. university. And I picked up no knowledge. But what I did learn was the ability to manage. So uh, time management, it, it helped me out dramatically. And I encourage everybody to go back to school because you're you're. Your, your basic knowledge of what you think is busy uh, will take on a new meaning to you when you have young kids, you're a police officer, you're working, your wife's working, and then you're going to school at nights and on the weekends, you will learn time management. Uh, school is not hard, but school requires a tremendous amount of reading and writing, right? So if you can read and you can write, you can uh, graduate pretty easily from just about any university in America. Um, Going to school showed me that while I might not be book smart, man, I could actually hang with some pretty smart people. And when it came to debating and thinking and logic and reasoning and, and things like this, true measures of intelligence, I was a little bit smarter than I gave myself credit for a lot of the times. Um, when I got out of school, I started a couple other really small business businesses. Uh, they didn't do so well. And while I was actually trying to create revenue with small businesses, I was actually training dogs for free on the side. <laughs> Go figure, right? Hmm. So... I was spinning dogs up, teaching all the basic uh, house pet obedience stuff, doing uh, silly bite stuff with pet dogs and um, other police officers and things like this. But I was I was making no money from it. I didn't charge anybody. I, I had no idea the business that was right in front of me and that I was failing to capitalize on because I didn't think there was a business there, uh, how ignorant and small minded I was at the time. And through the course of that dog training, I got involved with a local Schutzen Club in Leesburg, Virginia. And through the course of that Schutzen Club, I met some guys from Sit Means Sit, uh, which is a large training group up here in this area. Uh, they have like 150 locations nationwide. And through those guys, uh, 
Um, my mind was kind of opened as to what they did, their two-week board and train packages, their boarding, their immersion programs, and how much money they were. I mean, they were making, they still do make significant money, uh, more than most people who realize as a location goes. Through that experience, I started saying, well, damn, what, what am I doing wrong? Like these guys, uh, and I'm all respect to them, the majority of them are not better dog trainers than I am. They have way less experience than I do. They've never actually worked a working dog before. But they're making, you know, four or five times as much messing with these pets than I do risking my life every night on the street. And um, I started, you know, trying to pull everything thing together and I started charging uh, for dog training. Again, I had no LLC. I had no business license. I had nothing in the beginning. I had two crates and I was charging a very nominal fee, uh, sometimes 250 And then I bumped up to $500 for a month at a time. Uh, so, again, board and train for a month starting at 250 bucks. This I thought was great money. Again, I was doing it for free for quite a few years leading up to this. And now I'm getting paid a whopping 250 or an extra $500 per dog per month. And again, as a police officer, if you can make an extra $1,500, $2,000 a month, that's a pretty big deal. Um, Right about 2016 is when we started getting really, really busy. And it was all word of mouth. I didn't have Facebook, didn't have Instagram, had nothing, no uh, website or anything. And it was literally just kind of one client to one client to one client. And as a, as a business lesson, I would tell all people starting in business, man, don't quit your day job. Work both. Don't walk away from what you're doing. If you have a steady paycheck, maintain that paycheck and slowly, organically, and just as honestly as you can grow your side hustle to be what it could be down the road. But don't think for a second, you're just going to quit your job and start making, you know, uh, comparable money working in your backyard, the 99% chance that you will fail. So while I started spinning this business up, I'm a pretty avid reader. I'm kind of a closet nerd. So, and, and back to the business side, I recommend everybody out there, man, if you're not listening to podcasts, doing eBooks, reading books, uh, educating yourself constantly around the clock every day, studying what everybody else is doing, successful people, then you're doing yourself a disservice as far as where you could be uh, long-term. So basically I started slowly growing this business and all through word of mouth and 2016 is when me and the wife said, okay, we're, we're playing with fire here. We don't have a business license. I don't have any kind of permits. I don't have an LLC. I, I have nothing. So if something bad happens, it's going to shut me down. And I was smart enough to realize that if I were to get sued or I, 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 you know, something terrible happened, I lost a dog, a dog got injured. I mean, I had nothing. I had no business insurance. I, I had nothing. It would have been you know catastrophic to my family. So we pulled the trigger. We got a business license. We went to the county. We got the permits. Uh, we started a Facebook page. We got the website and that old saying, like, if you build it, they will come. Um, it, it blew up. And I think the reason that it became so successful so fast was that before I made it, uh, before I made it official, it was already there. So the foundation was already laid. I already had customers. It was just a matter of making it official. And then it really uh, started growing like wildfire in this region. Um, I would put our business against any dog training company in the Northern Virginia, uh, DC Metro region, which there's a tremendous amount of dog trainers here. No doubt about it. Uh, all fleece canine dominant on sheer size alone. But as far as like our location to a location, you know, we do pretty well. And that's it, man. It's just been a hell of a ride. Literally, it was three and a half years of growing this business while still working the midnight shift. And it came all to a head August. Uh, it was actually July 2018, just just passed where I started getting really run down. And I'm, I'm a self-motivated person. 
I can go on four or five hours a night. I can go on coffee all day. You know, I have self-gratification. I don't need reinforcement. However, it gets to a point where you're just running too wide open and it really starts to beat you down. And uh, I started losing motivation. I started getting very, very tired. I was just running seven days a week, wide open, dealing with the business, growing the business, and then working the midnight shift and then still trying to be a husband and dad. You know, I have my children, stepkids. I mean, I just have a lot going on. And uh, my my aha moment was when I fell asleep on duty in the back of a... uh, police station uh, for our county we're decentralized you have a lot of different stations uh, in different areas of the county and i pulled into one of the stations uh, the ashburn station central and i was in the back parking lot like two o'clock in the morning and i woke up and um i was never a sleeper on shift i've always chased call, uh, calls I've, I've always tried to get deployments as much as possible and that to me was like a damn what, what am i doing like i'm sleeping on duty like that's a problem for me personally it was a problem all along that year you know between accountants and attorneys and different stuff going on everybody is you know asking me why, why are you still chasing the street? Why are you still running again? What, what are you doing? Like you're, you're playing with fire. Something bad's going to happen. You're going to lose it all. You're right on the cusp. Literally, I just had that moment. I called my wife. I talked to her about it. And she was like, you know, do whatever's going to make you happy. Because, you know, when you're real tired, you can you, you can push through these moments, but you're always going to have fallout. There's going to be collateral damage. And relationships, probably the first thing that's going to be a collateral damage from being stressed, right? I was never stressed in a business like, you know, a hot call where your life's on the line or, you know, you're trying to fight your way through a, a situation. But you get that mental stress where you're just starting to shut down and you're like, I got to get these reps. I got to do this. I got to pick a dog up at the airport. I got to get out here and there's not enough time in the day. And then, you know, your wife asks you a question, Hey, why is your laundry there? And you're like, why my laundry there? Who the hell are you to ask me? And you, you, know, you just blow up, you know? So, um, yeah, everything started coming yeah. to a head and, uh, that's, I'm just being as honest as I could possibly be when uh, this, these things happen. And I said, man, I'm, I'm so successful on paper but I'm just getting beat down and I've got to make a change. So I made like an old school pro versus con uh, scribble piece of paper on a, my, my little police notebook in my pocket. It's kind of ghetto. And uh, the cons far outweighed the pros as far as risk, but the pros far outweighed the cons as far as opportunity. And I said, well, you only live once. And uh, I thought about my dad. My dad died of cancer last year. And he worked his whole life uh, for the government, retired, wanted to travel. And like a week after he retired, he came down with cancer and it killed him. And I thought, you know, when my dad was dying and, and he was a very fast death, uh, and he was very aware of what was going on. He came out with that brain cancer. And um, none of his life mattered at that moment, right? When, when, when he was in hospice and, and he was deteriorating rapidly, the only thing that mattered was like his family and like his life memories, like all the stuff he did for the government, for the army didn't matter. That was all in the past. It it, it had no monetary value, right? It it means fuck all. All he wanted to do was hold everybody's hand as he died. Okay. So I started thinking like, damn, am am I going to sacrifice my entire adult life to policing when I have nothing left to prove. Like I did six years in the Corps, been to 47 countries. I've been on basically a midnight shift between community policing, patrol, narcotics, SWAT, canine, that I have nothing left to prove. Or do I take the risk and do my own business, be my own boss and make my own way? And if I fail, okay, you know, fuck it. I can go back to policing. I'm a marketable candidate for policing, um, but you only live once. And I think my dad, when he passed, that, that really changed the way last year that I thought about the future, which is you only live wants, man. And life is short and life is precious. So chase your dreams. Long story short, wrote a memo that night. It was like uh, two sentences basically saying I'm done. Uh, literally, I think I might even use that word, which is <laughs> not the most professional mm-hmm. thing to do. But it, it, 
it is what it is. Turned it into our patrol uh, duty lieutenant for the night. And uh, super old school cops, super awesome guy. Eric, you would you would like him a lot. Very old school. And uh, he kind of said, you know, hey man, don't don't you know think about what you're doing. I'm not going to turn this in. You don't want to leave because you know, I'm a I'm a younger cop. You know, I'm 40. I've been on for 15 years, but I have an old school mentality on a lot of different things. So I get along really good with a lot of the older guys on the department. And um, he basically said, you know, go home, take a couple days off. He didn't, he didn't even have the authority to give me a couple days off, but he said, take a couple days off hmm. and um, we'll talk about this next week. And I said, no, there's no need. I'm done. Like you, you can turn a memo in or I'll drive to admin, build a turn in my damn self. So he accepted it and uh, turned it in. And I, that was it. I never went back to work. I, I didn't give two weeks notice uh, when, when I'm done with something. I just have to make a clean break. And I, and I had a tremendous fear. I'm going to sound like kind of a pussy when I say this, but I had a tremendous fear that I would be that guy that gave a two week notice and I get into a bad shooting or a bad use of force or a bad crash or I get injured. Um, so for me, I was like, when I'm done, I'm done. I'm not going back and uh, turned everything in, walked away. And it was a beautiful thing, man. I swear to God, I went home that night. My blood pressure came down. My heart rate came down. Uh, I, I felt super clear headed. I felt like I was on a mission, like I was totally focused. It removed all the restraints and shackles. You know, our policy has a zero uh, social media policy. So they, and it, I couldn't uh, quote this as fact, but I can tell you that I think there's two or three people in internal affairs that their only job is to, to monitor social media because they they were all over me in the past. And I mean, all over me to the point that I was called in and had to sign letters about intellectual property, thing, things that make that the law doesn't apply to, but they create general orders just to make it almost impossible to put anything on social media with the department. And, and, and it's their rules. This is their game. They can do what they want. When, when when I quit and walked away, it was like this this just weight came off of me. I've never been scared one day since I quit. Uh, business exploded the next day. And, and it's just, it's crazy, man. Um, I was turning away so much business. like And, and I had this stupid system because I was so busy where I wouldn't even open uh, nine out of 10 emails. I would just delete nine, open one, delete nine, open one. Now that I'm opening all emails, right? I don't delete anything. It's just, it's just amazing. Uh, business just increased uh, hundreds and hundreds of a percent and we're and we're and we're rolling you know we're we're booked out at our location till february right now uh by the end of november i guarantee we'll, we'll be taking reservations for march and we opened a secondary location as a franchise spot with will down north carolina they opened boom booked out the first month and they flat out crushed it i mean he made more money in one month than he's made probably in the last six months and for two months the second month november they're booked all the way through uh, money up front so it's and it's not all about money but you, but you need money to show business success. If, if money's not coming in, the business is not successful. And that's just, it's, it's, you know, it's either a nonprofit or it's a profitable business. They're crushing it. They're following our model. They're taking direction, but at the same time, uh, doing it their own way a little bit and everything is just really gelling and we're just going down the same path and we're just excited, man. So I might've got off track there. I'm not even remember what the hell you asked me, but uh, that's, that's my background. <clears throat> that's it. That's what I asked you. So I, of course, now I will go back and cover a couple in there. Um, you, you pulled the Ritlin on me there. You took one breath go and then you just went through the whole thing now you can take another breath so gotcha right one of the things you said early on uh really is strikes me a lot and uh the paramilitary thing with police i i say it all the time now i was not in the military and i know a lot of people who were and when they say this the the supervisory supervision and police like to use the paramilitary thing when it's convenient to them they like to say well you have to do this because we're a paramilitary type thing and it's because we have rank is what it what it amounts to but uh those now this will strike a chord with a lot of people in, that are listening to this that are in law enforcement um that uh in the in police 
work, most guys don't earn their promotions. Their promotions are strictly given based on testing. Um, in some sheriff's office, they're given on a good old boy system. And then those guys then turn around and Absolutely. use their rank as a as a bullying. They I call them rank bullies. Rank bullies. Uh, are not the paramilitary. They, there's no, there's very little respect from the troops in police work to the brass above them. And that's the one thing that those guys will never, ever understand ever. And so I when they use their rank to bully, when they use their rank to bully, well, you have to, I'm giving you a direct order. You have to listen to me because we're a paramilitary organization. It's like, look here, dude, I'm 40 some years old. I, I would rather just bitch slap you across your face and, than to take your bullshit. Um, because, you know, it's it's hard to take orders from someone who is a lesser cop than you were. Oh, yes, I retired, so now I'm going to bitch. So <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say, I, I agree with you 100 percent. I've been suspended, demoted in a million internal affairs investigations, never for corruption or bad policing, always due to uh, internal uh, back and forth. And then, you know, I've been hit on disrespect and conduct unbecoming so many times simply because it's like you just said, if somebody gets pushed up quickly, they've never been in a use of force, they've never been sued, they've never been cross-examined on a you know high-level jury trial and or you know deposed on a, on a deposition, you know, very nerve-wracking situations. And then they're telling you things and you're just like, man, fuck off. You know what I mean? Like I've I put my life on the line for this while you've sat in a damn admin position your entire career outside of six months on patrol until you went to a coveted SRO or investigative spot for financial crimes and then quickly got promoted within two years and then chased the ladder the whole time I've been on midnights. Like I have no time to listen to it. Long story short, I agree with everything you're saying. Yeah. And the guys like that could never understand how you could leave and how I could retire early and leave and go do what I'm doing. I had a captain tell, tell me I was a quitter uh, two, two weeks ago or last week, my last day. He's like, you, you didn't retire. You're a quitter. I'm like, go, go enjoy what the fuck? existence. <laughs> what? And, and those guys, those guys get in there and they, they don't network. They don't meet anybody. They don't um, work on any kind of marketable skill. They, uh, they leave their department quite well off uh, between their, you know, delayed retirement option program if you have that which we do we have most of our lieutenants and captains are retiring as damn near millionaires in law enforcement and yet they're going and working cop jobs when they leave here security jobs you're a chump you're just a dumbass go go learn a skill go learn something else and go do something else with your life like you're talking about like with your dad working that government job we've, we've got guys that have retired here and we do a death pool on them when they leave because they have no ability to do or no life outside of police work um, yeah, One of the things I find with the I found with the business at the end there when I was double dipping like you were is I even though I was tired as hell I got a lot of satisfaction out of it because uh, it had nothing to do with my job you know nothing to do with police work um, I absolutely loved it when I I tell everybody when I took that leave of absence and went out and trained the Navy SEAL dogs for a while the best part of doing that job was not being a cop I absolutely loved it. Um, I didn't have to worry about you know I, I tell people if I was at some place and something broke off and I beat the shit out of some dude I was not gonna get fired you know I wasn't Correct. gonna get in trouble at my job for telling someone to fuck off in my off time, which uh, little, you know, people outside law enforcement may or may not realize that's actually a real thing. You can get in trouble Hell for yeah. verbal Huge. stuff off duty. Yeah, it's ridiculous. So where you worked at in um, in Virginia, uh, Loudoun County Sheriff's Office is considered, or that county is considered the fastest growing in the United States. Um, yeah, it's been like that for 10 years. Yeah, and I'd never heard of it until I drove through it on the way to 
Dulles Airport. Those of you who are on the this side of the country, the northeast part, if you've driven to D.C., you've driven through Breezewood, Pennsylvania, probably, and then down into Loudoun County for a short distance anyways. And it's super really nice down there with horse farms and all this obvious D.C. money. Uh, the Beltway there is, is you know, uh, there's a lot of money that goes around there. But talk a little bit about the kind of policing that you had to do with the, with the dog. Yeah, so we have a full service uh, canine unit, which means we're full time. So, uh, you know, you don't take calls for service when you log on as a canine. I mean, you just run the entire shift for the most part. Uh, call to call. Loud County geographically is a pretty big county, uh, 550 square miles approximately. And during one shift, I mean, you could run code 10 to 15 times a shift just from burglary to house check to fight, to stabbing, to shooting, to pursuits. And it could be from one corner to the other. There's countless times. It's just kind of cool and loud. And, you know, you get a signal one or a, a hot call to... Uh, uh, to go back somebody up and you know you're you hit the gps either on your computer or on your personal gps and it's like continue 27 miles and you're like fuck and you're just flat out Whoa! you know you just hit the gas and go and uh, by the time you get there you know you can barely let go of the steering wheel because you've been gripping it so tight while you're driving in triple digits um bobbing and weaving the east part of our county, uh, the county is basically divided into, uh, well, it's divided into multiple different stationaries, but there's basically a line right through the middle of our county, which is Route 15, Interstate US 15, which runs north to south. And anything to the east of that is considered the east. Anything to the west is considered the west. The west, uh, where I live, I live in the mountains, uh, dirt roads. Uh, I almost back up to the Appalachian Trail and it's horse farms as far as you can see. Big, big money. Uh, there's also a lot of very, very uh, old school uh, rundown neighborhoods where, you know, all the old farm workers or people with stay back in the 50s and 60s and, and those little enclaves are still there so policing in, in that environment especially at a you know midnight call when you get a call to a really uh, impoverished area in the country and it's just you know trailers on top of trailers or old rundown shacks and you know these can be nerve-wracking calls when you're by yourself or with somebody else and you know you're going out into the country where everybody has guns and it's Virginia so everybody has guns and as they should uh, to you go to the east part of our county uh, Sterling Park area where you have 100,000 plus residents in Sterling Park and it's estimated about 80% are probably illegal uh, residents. Uh, riddled with gang activity, MS-13, 18th, 18th Street, host of uh, local little cliques and gangs. So, you know, one night you could be patrolling in a neighborhood where it's all Spanish. The stores are Spanish. The people are Spanish. Everything's in Spanish. You've got to be able to speak Spanish, To The very next night you're out on a dirt road at a trailer park in the mountains. <laughs> so the county is kind of cool in that way. And then if you ever get tired of working in one neighborhood, you can go to the next. You know, Loudoun County is not only the fastest growing, it's also considered the richest county in America most of the time for household income. And when you get into the middle, the north and the south part of the county, it's a lot of wealth. I mean, it's just suburbia, right? So you have hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people living in, you know, suburbia, you know, houses, townhouses, apartment complexes, just, you know, one on top of the other on top of the other. It's a fun place to work, man. Uh, we have a lot of chases in Loudoun County, a lot of pursuits. Uh, our pursuit policy, unlike most in D.C. metro areas, is still wide open. So if you run, we will chase. Uh, any supervisor could obviously shut down a pursuit uh, based on different factors, but for the most part, they don't. Uh, Fairfax County, which is our neighboring jurisdiction next to us, our, our big brother, as we call it, they have you know full-time heli- heli- helicopter that's in the air just about all the time. So any pursuit we're on, you're going to have you know a ton of deputies. A helicopter will be over top of the chase within a pretty short period of time, and you're going to have dogs and tack officers and plainclothes officers and unmarked vehicles jumping in. So we do a pretty good job. As, as, as long as the pursuit continues, the odds of us catching them are, are, are pretty high. And um, word of the wise to any criminals, man, just run for like 30 seconds, jump out of your car and 
foot and disappear. Uh, that's your best way to get away. Um, if you keep running and the helo gets up and a dog gets in the chase, the odds of you getting caught are, are very high. It's a fun place to work, man. It, it's, a, it's a lot going on behind the scenes. The one thing about Loudoun that's very unique to the D.C. metro area is that we're sheriff's office, right? So everywhere else is a county police department. Now, we're actually bigger as a sheriff's office than most of the county police departments are, but they just never switched it over from a county sheriff to a county PD. And now at 800 employees, it's just almost too big to make the switch at this point. There's pros and cons to that, right? The the pros are that the sheriff can legitimately and does often tell the county board of supervisors to fuck off. So he doesn't have a boss except for the people. That's a pro and that's a con because <laughs> the county board also can't tell him what, what to do. So a lot of people say, you know, in a sheriff's office, there's too much poli- po- politics. And that is true in a super large sheriff's office until you get to the rank of captain or above. Nobody knows who you are. I mean, as sergeants, lieutenants, first lieutenant, second lieutenant, or a, a layman guy like myself, I mean, you're you're an unknown. But uh, the unique thing about a sheriff's office in this environment is that they do a lot to... I don't want to say tap down statistics, and I have a lot of respect for the sheriff this, for this county, but they can kind of report as they see fit. So, for example, for your average citizen living in like Lansdowne, Ashburn, Brambleton, some of these mega rich, uh, very large communities, they have no idea what's going on and Sterling Park, you know, in like one of the, the housing complexes or uh, one of the voucher neighborhoods or those people there don't even know that there's mountains in the county. So like if you go into the eastern part of the county where Dulles Airport is and Route 28 and all these areas, they don't even know that there's mountains in the county. Yet, you know, 50 miles away, we're in the same county up on top of a mountain on a dirt road that's been here since the Civil War, you know? So it's a unique place to work, but a, a fun place to live. Right yeah, that, that would be uh, it would be pretty um, diverse for sure. I'm sure. And yeah, for those of you who don't know, I mean, a lot of cities and a lot of places have their uh, have their crime and everything. The D.C. metro area has some absolute animals walking around out there, like legit killers, whether they've killed yet or not. Lots of cop killers mm-hmm. um, that haven't just haven't done it yet. We've got some in the city I worked in. Uh, I always said that guy's going to kill a cop. He just hasn't done it yet. Um, some real absolute zombie animals that walk around in there, which is something a lot of folks in the Midwest don't get to deal with. Um, there's there's a lot of places that are doing police work that's way different than what we're used to. We're going to get into the business side here a little bit and you'll understand why sometimes, you know, putting your life at risk doing that, dealing with those types of absolute killers might not even be worth it. Oh, yeah. you know, in the long run. Yeah, we'll take a break here for a second. Uh, we'll come back and we'll get into the business side of some of the stuff and uh, listen to Aaron and Eric talk about getting out of law enforcement and coming into uh, the private side where I live. So, uh, yeah, we'll be back in just a second. Let me take a second and talk to the explosive handlers here for a second. Everybody knows that HME is a huge problem now. The problem with training on it is that it's extremely dangerous and a lot of times you guys only get access to it a couple of times a year which is not enough nobody wants to handle TATP or HMTD so enter TrueScent K9 that's TrueScent the letter K the number 9.com they manufacture an actual odor not a pseudo it's an actual explosive odor suspended in silica so they do TATP HMTD RDX, TNT, PETN, ammonium nitrate, potassium chlorate, and they do a distractor odor too so that you can proof the dogs off of the training aids, but it's actual explosive odor suspended in silica. It's safe to handle. 
You're not going to blow yourself up. You're not going to endanger anyone else. And the dogs, through verified testing that TrueScent has done, will alert on both the training aids and then actual HME odor down the line through training. So hit them up. TrueScentCanine.com. That's the letter K, the number nine, TrueScentCanine.com. Eric here. Like many trainers, Ted and I go through toys with the hard super chewer dogs we typically have in our kennels. So we need toys designed to withstand the grueling reality of high drive working dogs. That's where USA Canine Dog Toys excel. Their toys are made from an extremely durable rubber compound. They have reward toys as well as food dispenser toys, all made to last and are very affordable. All the toys are military themed. Go to the website, www.usa-k9.com. Check out the grenade-shaped toys. They got the cherry bomb. They got a lot of other great things over there, military-themed toys. Here's the best part. A portion of all USA Canine proceeds go to support military working dogs and other veterans organizations. And that's freaking badass www.usa-k9.com use the promo code k9pro or check them out on instagram at usa canine dog toys astute trainers with proper training tools are always the key to unleashing your dog's full potential for over 30 years doctor has collaborated with industry professionals to create class leading tools for e-collar training gps tracking and ball training to support dog owners in developing top-notch working dogs trusted by professional dog trainers canine officers and hunters doctor enhances your training journey with durable training products equipped with patented accurate intuitive controls and technology to ensure the best experience join us and together we can make every dog exceptional find them at dogtra.com I want to take a second to talk about equipment selection for patrol work. One of the most important aspects of teaching and maintaining patrol functions is your equipment. Proper equipment selection and fit makes all the difference in the world when it comes to creating and maintaining patrol and sport dogs. This episode is possible in part with support from Arno at ALM Suits. Because of the importance of this equipment, I use ALM Suits exclusively. I've owned one for about five years and use it almost daily at the kennel and have caught thousands of dogs and tens of thousands of bites. Arno was able to make a great fitting suit for my lanky ass and I couldn't be happier with it. Arno can take your measurements and make you a suit that would make Jacob Davis happy. Who's <laughs> going to Google that to get the joke. Arno uses top quality materials and handmakes each and everything he does in his shop in Vegas. Between the top notch materials and the handmade aspect, you're getting some of the best bite equipment in the world from ALM. The suits come in a full range of weights, from training weight to comp weight, which is what I use because I'm not a pussy and you shouldn't be either. He offers some Kevlar inserts to make the thinner suits a little safer and more comfortable, plus they keep your tattoo artist happy. He makes a full range of toys and reward tugs also. Be sure to hit him up at alnk9equipment.com. That's the letter K, the number 9, or Arno, A-R-N-O, at almsuits.com. Be sure to use the discount code WDRADIO for 10% off your first order. Tell him you heard it here. Now go get bit. All right, we're back. Uh, so, Aaron, a minute ago, uh, you know, you were talking about, you know, running, uh, being in a large sheriff's department and running a dog and, um, you know, kind of the pitfalls and the perils of doing that and playing the politics and everything else. But one of the things you did mention that I kind of want to kick off here is that you, your department had a, like, a social media blackout policy and whether it's legit or not. Well, and whether it's legit or not, there was people that were there just to babysit your shit. I see this a lot with guys that get out of the, that get out of, um, 
canine specifically, um, either out of the military or in law enforcement, is like that's one of the things they've only like they've done ever. Like that's it, right? So, um, for better or for worse, uh, social media has kind of like connected us um, and has kind of like broadened the horizons for a lot of people. So, you know, um, there's a couple of guys now that are doing some of the stuff that we're doing specifically right now, like podcasting. And I think that they're um, finding a little difficult to kind of broaden and kind of make a name for themselves outside of their little bitty area because they have been so adverse to social media, whether it's enforced by administration or whether it's just kind of like the code that a lot of those guys live by. But I think what a lot of guys that get out of the military and get out of law enforcement somewhat find is that it's difficult to make inroads. Um, in fact, you know, I have a really good friend who lives 45 minutes from me who was a uh, head trainer for a special operations unit. Um, he actually owns a semi-famous dog. He owns a very famous dog that was um, really well known in that unit. The guy did eight combat deployments as a handler. Went straight to Hayes High School right into special operations. Um, did a deployment as a trainer. Um, so in terms of being able to train a dog to bite people and find shit, you don't get much better than this guy. So he gets out and literally has no fucking clue what he's doing, where to go, what to do, anything. And he's like, dude, the only thing I've ever done to shoot people in the face and teach dogs bite shit. I don't know how to do anything. I don't know the business side. I don't know how to talk to people. I don't know how to network. I don't even know how to find fucking dogs. They just fell out of the sky and landed in my lap. And he was like, I just go to the airport and pick them up because, and I kind of told him, yeah, somebody selected for you. So, you know, talk a little bit about, you know, coming out of the social media black hole and then coming into the light where everybody can see you and, you know, what effect that had on, you know, the pet side, the law enforcement side, and then um, how important it is for guys that are considering coming out of the military or coming out of law enforcement in terms of just visibility so people just know your fucking name. Wow. That's a, you, you just touched on like enough uh, content. To be <laughs> honest with you. Um, no, I mean, it's some pretty serious stuff that you just touched on. So as far as getting out and doing it on your own, the, the one thing you have to remember, I just did a post today on our Facebook and I kind of touched on some things with uh, the difference in mindset of, of a police canine or a military canine handler versus civilian canine handler. I had a female client. I I had, this will make sense in a minute. And she's been struggling with her Doberman. Uh, She bought the dog as a puppy, right? Uh, Eight week old pup was selected by the breeder for her for protection and sport. And um, the dog is just now at about two coming out of his shell. He's a little bit of a late bloomer and she's been put in the work. She travels, gosh, she travels to get the best training she can. She drives up to us about three hours South every other weekend for our special training group. And it was last weekend that I saw this dog cross a huge threshold in his training and um, just really start showing some projected aggression. But this is the thing, right? She can't get rid of this dog. This will all make sense in a second. She must deal with what's in front of her and she must find a way to make it work. Okay. Yes. At the high levels of sport, guys shuffle through dogs similar to what police do, but 99% of civilians don't do that. They buy the puppy and they had that dog for a lifetime. Think about this for a second. When you're police or canine and you're in that lifestyle, you most likely select a dog between 12 to 24 months. That dog, by the time you get your hands on it as a, as a layman police trainer, i.e. you work for Department A, you're going to vendor B to select a dog, right? That dog's already passed multiple selections just to get to that vendor's location, first and foremost. So there should be a decent chance that you're going to find what you need out of that cut, and then you take it back and you train it. 
But then during your training, your your maybe high speed awesome training, or it could be very old school uh, borderlines silly training. Maybe you wash the dog. Well, what's that dog do? It goes back to the vendor most likely as long as everything's on the up and up, and the vendor replaces the dog with a new dog, and you start over. You get a false sense of training uh, superiority when you're in police or military because you have all this success. Well, why is that? You're starting with cream of the crop most of the time, right? And then if something goes wrong, you can blame it on a variety of variables. The dog, the vendor, the overseas kennel, the condition, the handler, the school. There's all these things you can blame the training on in order to deflect accountability of yourself and your methods. And you simply start over with a new dog. When you get into the civilian side, you can't do that, right? You are the ends all be all. The the ends don't justify the means and and, and everything when accountability comes back to you. So when you first get out of the insulated world of police and canine, military canine, to now you're doing civilian dogs with civilian handlers, with civilian selection, there is no redo, right? There is no pause, rewind, start over, get a new dog. You have to work the dog in front of you and you have to find ways to succeed. Now, how's that play into social media and things like this? Social media can be great and social media can hurt you very quickly. You can't fake it. You can try, but you'll be called out within a short amount of time. You can make a bunch of silly videos showing things that may look cool to, and I don't want to say uneducated, but an unaware person. But some people somewhere are going to go, eh, bullshit. I call bullshit immediately. This is total false. This is a smoke screen. Run away. And if you start getting people that are analyzing your stuff and you get a lot of different trainers that are going red flag, red flag, this is fake, social media can be your worst nightmare. Um, your information doesn't go away. Your videos don't. People are screenshotting videos and downloading content and saving it and bringing it back up later. I think that's hilarious. But you can be that guy that gets out of the military or the police and maybe you had great success, but now all of a sudden you're actually being held accountable. Now all of a sudden you have to find dogs on your own. You have to get clients. You have to put out content. And content can be tough. If you don't like Facebook, you don't think it's a valuable tool, you will not survive in this industry. End of story, it it won't happen. You see a lot of older guys right now that are just now starting to get into it um, and just now starting to turn it to turn it on a little bit. And but the problem is they're a decade behind. Right. So they'll probably never truly catch up. Putting yourself out there. Uh, I have hundreds and hundreds of videos out there. Anybody could analyze those videos and find a million things I do wrong. I'm not saying they can't, but I'm also not afraid to put videos out. You see. So I right. know that every video I put out could be overanalyzed. Some dickhead sitting in his basement who maybe worked one dog that week, let alone I have 20 dogs in the kennel. will Analyze and say you timed this wrong, you clicked that wrong, you gave pressure here, yada yada yada. Yep. And I say, okay, great. Uh, I have 30 dogs on deck. I don't even know who the fuck you are. Uh, I try to search your videos to give example of this. There's a Facebook group called Grow Your Skills, Not Your Ego, and I, I've actually liked the group up until last week. Uh, but it's it's all civilians. There's almost no uh, military or police presence or military presence, and, and and I like that to be honest with you. Sometimes I like seeing what the civilian market is doing. And, and and I'm in the civilian market, so I consider myself part of that subculture at this point. But they're very anti-pressure. They're very anti-correction and compulsion. A lot of positive, but and then that gray area of you know removing reward to get a you know desired trait to shape it. But they're saying that's not pressure. But I say it kind of is. Yada yada yada. This person put up a picture, 
and it was a picture of a dog loose leash walking. And this other guy who's actually in DC metro area, uh, basically was selling a program to teach, uh, <laughs> whole thing's funny, but to teach clients, you, you take his seminar, it's expensive, $500 for like three days, and they then teach your dog how to walk on a leash. My God, you know, this is the, wow, awesome high-speed training, like how to walk on a leash on a flat dog. <laughs> So yeah, next is how to shit outside. His, right. In his picture, it's a woman in the desert, legitimately. It looks like the Midwest or like Southeast somewhere. And it's, it's a desert environment. And she's walking on a loose leash, no stimulus, no people, no nothing. And they do in their write-up, any dog, any behavior, any situation, all you need is a flat collar and a six-foot lead. So, of course, this is total bullshit, right? This is smoke and mirrors, mumbo-jumbo, voodoo shit as far as I'm concerned. I never make a comment to bash anybody, but I just put a simple comment up. Anybody reading this understand this is complete smoke and mirrors, complete voodoo. This is horseshit. Holy shit. And all of a sudden, you're an asshole. (laughs) Woo! Um, It was crazy. Um, The awesome part of it, the awesome part was it. But the cool part was that there was actually a tremendous amount of civilians that basically came on and agreed with what I was saying. And my argument was, tell us what you're doing. What's the magic you possess that you can get any dog, any behavior, any situation fixed with a flat collar and a six-foot lead? And the response was always, when you come to the seminar, when you buy the online training, you'll find out. Of course, total bullshit, total smokescreen, right? They kicked me off. Yeah, it's like those real estate seminars where they're like, oh, come work for me. And it's the same thing. A hundred percent. So in that aspect, I think Facebook is is, is being abused to lure in um, unwitting clients. However, going back to your question on what it's like to be on Facebook, it can be your greatest asset or man, it can shut you down pretty quickly. And I think that fake people uh, will eventually get called out pretty fast within a year or so on Facebook. Yeah. I think that there's people like myself that I don't pretend to know it all, but I stay very busy and we put out a tremendous amount of content and you may not agree with what we do. That's fine. We get results. You may not like what we do. That's fine. Don't use us, but we're open. We're real. We don't hide shit. There's no smoke screens with us. I'll tell you exactly how we train. I'll tell you everything that we do because the reality is as with all business, you can uh, replicate, but you'll never be able to duplicate. So trainers shouldn't be hiding behind, you know, smoke and mirror. There's no secrets in dog training at this point. It's 2018. You did not reinvent the wheel. I don't care if it's detection, bite work, obedience. I don't care what the problem is. You are not doing something new. There's either. Yeah, we sent a rover to Mars. We're good. That's what I'm saying. Like, this is not rocket science (laughs) shit. You know, like, don't be afraid to tell people what you do because at the end of the day, it's your delivery that's going to teach you. And I always use the example of, you know, when I went back to school, uh, I struggled with statistics, especially advanced statistics. Now, I got A, but I had to get a before tutor. I had to go to special. It was a pain in the ass. But this is the reality, right? There's no secrets to statistics. All the equations are there in the three-inch thick textbooks. You can go and read every possible way to do a statistic. It's not like the teacher hides the process. The teacher just finds a way to deliver the information that you can absorb it and learn. So as a dog trainer, I shouldn't be hiding the process. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. But I'm the one that's accountable for the precise timing, the precise pressure, removal of pressure, rewards. Timing is dog training. So like, there's no secrets. So dog trainers that hide behind a bunch of shit as proprietary, it's this, it's that, that's fine. That, that That's your mojo. But there's really no secrets in dog training. Okay. It's... Is the trainer a good trainer? Can the trainer relay that information? Can the trainer teach you how to be a dog trainer? 
And that's right. what makes people successful and not, well, in my humble opinion. You know, and, and I ha- so everyone always asks me, they're like, who do you think the best traders in the country are? And I'm like, well, it depends. Like, am I talking about just straight up dog trainers or guys that are successful in replicating? And in my mind, some of the best guys are groups like the group down in Dallas, uh, Coy and Derek, uh, Michael Ellis, ben- Balabanov, um, guys that are able to repeatedly take people that I, we would consider like um, not just not lame, but just you know, just very basic in terms of their knowledge. They're able to produce people that are fantastic trainers and fantastic handlers repeatedly over and over and over again. And you know, you mentioned something that is interesting in terms of when these guys get out and like the resume comes up because nothing, nothing in my background said I was not in the military and I've never been a police officer yet. You know, we have dogs in 18 states and three countries, and I have most certification standards like memorized, and I've got so much case law memorized that I get tired of repeating it to people sure. and it's because of how many times I have to repeat it and how much I have to deal with it on a daily basis. And the right. fact of the matter is there's a lot of people in this country and it's a lot of guys that are getting out of law enforcement right now that are pencil whipping their resumes that have tra- that have finished two, three, four, five dogs in an, in an eight, nine, 10, 12 year career as a trainer or a handler. And I'm like, great, mm-hmm. big fucking deal. I do that in a month. The fact is I'll have more dogs come through my hand in a quarter than a lot of these guys will ever see in their entire fucking career, even after retirement. But they'll be the first ones that'll pencil whip their way into like, well, I was a law enforcement trainer. I'm like, you act like that's the pinnacle of some fucking bullshit or something. I'm like, you had better be so fucking awesome that I am awestruck right now. And all of a sudden it gets a little wonky because they're like, well, because I'll flat out just say, show me. And Eric is real big about that too. Like, we'll do it. Show me right now. And like, if, if that's our standard and a lot of them, like you said, are older guys that have been retired. They don't understand how social media works and for better or for worse it's here so what i have to do like i can't because you know like you said you're bad at statistics like my background is like i have a degree in economics and specifically in econometrics oh my god and specifically in econometrics so like i'm a statistics ninja right like i'm great with math and everything else so so anyway right nothing about it says i should be even sitting here talking to you so that being said you know when you can't argue with the results so people can bitch and moan and cry about my background and my lack of this and i've never been on the side of the road at three o'clock in the morning. You're right. But they can't argue with my ability to produce a patrol dog repeatedly and reliably and then take a neophyte handler and teach him how to do his fucking job and do it safely, do it effectively and do it professionally, repeatedly with multiple standards, multiple states and multiple certification requirements across time distance and ability levels and at that point I'm a trainer I'm an instructor and you can't argue with it so when guys come to me and they're like you do too much social media I'm like no look man that is my resume I can't fall back and be like well I'm you know I was a SWAT handler I'm like so fucking what you handled one fucking dog for four years or six years or whatever it is who cares you know what else did you do you know I mean I know guys that did seven or well 12 combat deployments as a fucking ranger handler and they can't get a job to save their life and they're not you know, right. out, out, uh, out like waving their dick around and doing it anything like you are. But, you know, and like you said, results matter. So literally what I have to fall back on is that what I post on social media and in our videos and everything else, that is literally my visual resume. Like this is what I can do. And I tell you what, people can run their mouth and whatever else all they want. But every time I sell a dog, every administrator, the people that fucking matter, not the handlers, but the people that matter, the people that write the checks, they come to me and they say, you know what? I watched all of your videos. And I'm like, oh, really? 
happens all the time. Absolutely. It happens all yeah. the time. And I'm like, oh, really? So believe me when I say I'm super careful about what goes up and what doesn't go up, but I'm also super careful about who's watching it and who's seeing it. And people can screenshot my shit all they want. I don't give a fuck because you're right. They're not the ones producing content. They're not the ones doing anything. And if you're listening to this and you're thinking about getting out of law enforcement, start building a library. Uh, and you don't have to post it anywhere. Absolutely. Just have it. Just have it. <laughs> have it for later because it's so valuable to be like, this is literally because you can describe to people all day long. Oh, this is what I can do. Or this is that and the other and be like, and instead of be like, here, watch this. And people are like, holy shit, how did you do that? And you're like, well, so here's the conversation. If anything, it opens up a conversation. It opens up a door that allows you to do something that ordinarily wouldn't. I have to do it because if not, people won't take me seriously. But Or well, they wouldn't used to. But so like I have to. But you know, I mean, and I force other guys to do it too. So you should. Yeah, you're, you're, you're touching on a lot of really good stuff, man. And, and hopefully I would recommend a lot of people kind of listen to this podcast a couple times and, and, and absorb what you're saying. Because um, to me, dog training. So I always tell everybody, this is a thinking man's game, first and foremost. Now, there's an absolute threshold of strength required to train the dog. Um, everybody's threshold is different, but the fittest, most in shape you will make the fittest, uh, best dog trainer. I don't believe in obesity in dog training. I don't believe in um, poor physical fitness in dog training. Only on the aspects of if a dog breaks bad, you may have to get very violent very quickly. Why am I saying that? Um, the thinking man's aspect of this is huge. Problem solving ability is huge. The fact that you were in economics, um, I mean, this is this is a foreign thing to me. Again, basic statistics was fine. Advanced statistics uh, threw me for a loop that required a bunch of tutoring and all kinds of shit for me to cl- climb my way through it. But your brain can obviously problem solve very, very quickly. Um, so that's that's a unique uh, trait, and it's probably why you're good at what you do. I, I, I see a lot of guys. There's there's a lot of very good dog trainers in policing that nobody knows about. And, and this is also the downfall oh, yeah. of social media. Some people assume that if you're not on social media, you're not – a really good dog trainer and I can tell you you know in my last agency a guy that retired phenomenal dog trainer he, he was a master trainer for almost 31 years he's literally in the DC metro area put his hands on I, I can assure you over a thousand dogs uh, not with our agency but with, with all the agencies here everybody would come to him to problem solve to, to, to work on issues etc and as with most people in the DC metro area that are trainers at a trainer indoor master trainer level and they're legit the feds hire them as soon as you know they retire I don't know I say we work for now but he works for a federal agency with a tremendous amount of dogs he's not on social media you couldn't find him if you tried to you know you'd have to go to a napwata uh mass trainer list and you could maybe see his name but you wouldn't even know what you're looking for so it wouldn't have any value this is somebody that could pick up a leash and problem solve any police issue from obedience to detection to aggression and you have no clue who he is however you have people that have a big social media presence and that gives them clout and, and i have a big problem with that too i don't care if somebody's been on a, you know, my ability to train a dog, to be honest with you, has nothing to do with what I've learned in policing. Uh, I could discuss case law with anybody. I, I can retain information very, very quickly. None, none of that means dick uh, to problem solve in, a, in an aggressive game pit bull in my kennel. That came from a lot of other things in the past. And then every dog I've trained, I've gotten better and better. But you also see a lot of guys with these social media uh, platforms right now that are doing things under the, the trainer title. Uh, which is like a self-prescribed title and a self-given clout. And uh, it, it worries me a little bit, right? Because they're, they're, they're jumping knee deep into a game that they don't know much about and they're having fun doing it. But 
there's a lot of baggage that can come unexpectedly very, very quickly, right? If you are training police dogs, you can be liable for an accident bite. Uh, maybe not directly, but you could absolutely be sued civilly over it, right? So you got to be careful. And this is a thinking man's game, but it's a game with very real consequence. And it's also one of the reasons that for my business, I'm not comfortable putting all my ducks in the police side of things, right? Pets pay our bills. Uh, we do sell police dogs. We've sold six now in the last uh, four weeks. Just a really good month. We had some dogs and they all went. But I get nervous, man. And, and guys getting out of policing, you have to remember, when you work for law enforcement, you are on someone's insurance, right? So that agency is covering you unless you're deemed grossly negligent and maybe they'll throw you out to the wind. But it's harder than you think to be deemed grossly negligent, right? You have to really try to mess up to have the actual insurance agency or the agency or the county or city leave you hanging, okay? So when, when, when you're training dogs as an agency, something happens, you're covered, right? You get into training as a civilian for other people and something goes down, something goes really wrong, you have a dog that legitimately injures somebody or something happens, you could be liable to a degree for that dog. You'll be fine, you should be covered, but guys forget about this stuff. When it comes to social media, anything you put on social media can come back to bite you in a lawsuit. Oh, yeah. So if, if, if you're making videos about killers and you know, this dog's throat rippers, this dog's gonna, dogs that don't fucking right. target. Yeah. Yeah. You know, our dogs don't have to out our dog. And I hear people say that and I, and, yep. I, and I cringe, I, I literally go, damn, man, like you're setting yourself up for a lawsuit, but like that dog doesn't out on the street and you had something to do with training. And now here you are and our dogs don't out. They're real dogs. They're hard dogs. I don't even know what that means, but yep. it's, it's, it's just crazy to me. You know what I'm saying? At the end of the day, I'm a big believer in popping dogs, gaffing dogs on the street to pop them on bites. However, you must train to certification and all certifications that I know of require a verbal out. <laughs> so train the verbal out. Otherwise There's none that don't. So right. <laughs> like so, pick one. Right. But that's also a, a lot of people that say a lot of these things have nothing to do with actually certifying dogs. Okay. Right. So th this is one of those things you have to take a step back and really be cautious on what you're getting into because it's all fun and games until the lawsuit comes. And when the lawsuit comes and everybody's subpoenaed into court, everybody's going to be pointing fingers left and right. And there's going to be a lot of people that are going, everybody gets thrown under the, under, under the bus. So you really got to be cautious. Oh yeah. One of the things I like about social media though, too, is um, there are some guys who've been in this business a long time and have, you know, a long time, but now they're starting to post videos on there and everyone's starting to see that they may have been in business a long time, but they suck. Yeah. Dog, dog training is mic. shit. Yeah. Yeah. My favorite saying, or not mine, but Scott's favorite saying is you may have been doing it for 20 years. It's always time to do it right. <laughs> yeah, they, uh, yeah, now like, people are seeing it. They're trying to play catch up and, and they're getting exposed. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and, and I also think, and, um, I'm, I'm, I'm zero authority on anything I'm saying right now. This is just my humble opinions, but I think the days of the mega kennels are, are, are coming to a very rapid, uh, halt. Um, I think the days of the monopolies of, you know, certain mega kennels that dominate patrol sales are, are, are slowing down and, and will most likely go away. I think the rise of small kennels pushing uh, high value dogs, dogs that performance is the number one mission are, are going to slowly take over. Um, and I think social media will play a huge role in that in the future within the next 10 years. TSA contracts are going to change the game. Uh, we don't need to talk about that, but, yeah. you know, there's, there's going to be a lot of stuff in the next three to four years due to the demand of high drive odor dogs. And Eric, uh, please tell me that little uh, Labrador you talked about in the beginning. That wasn't the one he sent me videos of that looked really, really good, was it? Yep. 
I sent you those videos and then within uh, within about an hour of those videos, I went and tested her hunt. And um, I mean, I'm telling you, dude, I took her up steps that have, gr- there were metal graded open back towered right. steps, no problems, uh, through tubes in dark rooms, sl- any floor, anything, no problem. But uh, you take a take the ball and throw it and then spin her and send her out there, she's not leaving your side. You know, and this is something that Eric and I have been talking about on our Patreon recently and that one of us needs to do a video on. And it's something that I've harped on, or well, Scott, and then by extension me, have harped on forever, is that we don't wash dogs in detection or they don't get washed for their ability or, well, inability to identify target odor or whatever it may be. That is literally a trained response. That ain't that big of a deal. We wash dogs and they get washed from TSA. They get washed from Border Patrol, which has a notoriously high wash rate. What is it, like 75? I don't know what it is. Like 75 or 80% last time. They brag about it. And those dogs are washed. Well, if they took away their stupid metal pipe. Oh, yeah. I, <laughs> we're not even going to fucking go with that. <laughs> like, we're, we're not even going to talk about that. But, you know, we wash dogs in detection from lack of hunt. And so when I see people, and I get it, like I do it too, um, like when I see people with puppies and they're like, oh, we're going to imprint this eight-week-old puppy on fucking odor. I'm like, well, how do you know it's going to go look for it? You know, when it gets older, and I'm like, well, why don't you teach it to hunt? Why don't you teach it to use this fucking nose? Why don't you teach it not to be dependent yeah. on a person? Why don't you do all this other shit? And they look at me like I got a dick thrown out of my forehead, and I'm like, no, seriously, like, I'm telling you, as a trainer, when people bring me a dog, they're like, this would be a great detection dog because he's crazy about a ball. I'm like, okay, cool. So you throw a ball, he goes and gets it. All of a sudden, you turn him around in circles, and he sits there and looks at you. I'm like, no, this is not going to happen. And they're like, oh, but he's crazy about a ball. I'm like, he won't go look for it. Like, he can't do I don't care. Like, I don't give a shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, so, and those are dogs that become personal protection dogs or become tennis ball fetchers. Like, they do not become detection dogs. That is for shit. So, if you're listening to this, teach the dogs to fucking hunt. I can teach them to find odor. They ain't that big of a deal. Teach them to fucking hunt. I don't need them to, I don't need them to find odor. I need them to hunt. So, yeah, something there's... in the business side here, uh, Aaron, that's I want to talk about is, um, so, in every training group, whether it's, you know, five guys, 10, 30, 40, 50 guys, there's always a couple guys that want to get into the police canine business and they're going to have sure. one or two kennels and they're going to, they're going to train and sell police dogs and talk about, and Ted, you obviously can interject in here, how, how foolish or, or, or how short sighted that actually is, what the reality of that success actually is. Yeah. Let's break it down to the business aspect first for small business. If you have to get a loan to start a business, there's a 98% chance that your business will fail within 24 months. And these are statistics and the numbers don't lie. Okay. So as a police officer, unless you were gifted money or unless you came into money, the odds are is that you're going to have to most likely get a loan to jump into actually going overseas, selecting, buying, purchasing, and transporting dogs back to you know your international airports. This is very risky business. Okay, most cops sure they can get a ten thousand or fifteen thousand dollar loan pretty pretty easy at, at any bank. Um, all I can tell you is that before you jump into the dogs, have revenue streams coming in, have money saved up that can cover a complete and utter failure. Have money saved up. You know if you can't afford to lose twenty grand tomorrow and walk away from it, which I couldn't before. I mean, I don't want to lose it now, but 
it wouldn't shut me down now. You see, so before it would have shut me down. Uh, if you can't afford to lose 20 grand, legitimately give it away and walk away from it. Don't get in this because it, it's a very risky business. First and foremost, if you don't have a solid connection overseas, be very cautious putting money down. Okay. If you're not physically putting hands on dogs to select buddy, you better be careful. because don't think yeah. that your phone call, your email, your friend of a friend on Facebook gives two shits about you. Number one consumer no. of dogs in the world right now is China, not the United yep. States. Number two, India and Pakistan are bringing in a tremendous amount of dogs out of Holland, Belgium, and Hungary right now. And they're we paying twice what you cheap motherfuckers are. So so, so this has happened twice in, in two big kennels over in Holland where a Chinese broker goes in and buys the entire kennel. Done. Don't even test them. Every At higher than market value. Put it on a, put it on a, and so we have to remember, right? Uh, I don't buy from, from mega kennels at a Holland. Now we import a tremendous amount of dogs, but they're coming from very private KPV clubs at a, at a, at a backwoods lo- locations. Yep. Um, I may pay a little bit more, but I haven't had, I haven't been burned yet. Now back to the business side for a police officer. The other aspect of this is this, who are you going to sell the dog to? First and foremost, is this complete misunderstanding of, of how the process to even sell a dog comes in, right? Oh, What's it is not, it is not the in? Kevin Costner field of dreams. That is not how it fucking works. You, you have to legitimately ask yourself and, and I couldn't get into it until I retired. Right? So when I was still active police, I have a, a, a very lucrative contract for explosive dogs and they've taken very good care of me, this, uh, this private business. And they sit on more dogs and border patrol or any federal government for that matter. Uh, kennel space wise. So I, I was already in the pipeline creating very real relationships to import dogs for this company that needs high drive explosive dogs, dogs that are dual purpose dogs. They're just not having bite work put on them. Dogs that are not only ball crazy, but are neurotic. will do anything to hunt, get to, I mean, full out dual purpose level 18-month-old Malinois that most departments would be like, that dog's not hunting for odor. But these guys are taking them straight to Afghanistan, straight to Africa, straight overseas, and they have to work in that environment for 10-hour shifts, so they have to be crazy. So I already had a pipeline established for bringing in dogs. Um, I had already sold multiple uh, personal protection dogs, so I, so I had some of this stuff in place before I ever got into the police sales aspect of it. First question you have to ask yourself, who's going to buy the dog? Um, if you buy a dog and sit on it, every day you're sitting on it, it costs you money, it costs you food, it costs you uh, kennel space. It occupies a kennel that could be generating revenue for boarding, for importing, for training, things like this. And every day you have it, right? Uh, for me personally, I do not train any dogs. Uh, it, the dogs have to be flat out green, right? So if I take some dogs to different police uh, departments and or you know, a different vendor or government agency, a dog has obedience on it. This, this could prohibit my sale. I mean, some police trainers will be like, well... How was it conditioned? Who conditioned? What what was pressure used? Was it avoidance? Was it compliance? I mean, they get very, very nervous if the dog will do anything but bite. So the, the, the point to that is that you're sitting on an untrained dog, right? If you've got to sit on a balls out Malinois for two months and he's just a pain in the ass to get on the leash, a pain in the ass to walk. It's like walking a, a coyote cross with a crocodile and he's just all over the place. This is not enjoyable. It's not fun to sit on these dogs. It's a tremendous amount of work and it's a lot of liability. Now, let's just say this. An average police officer had the dog selected for them by a trainer and or a vendor or a kennel or whatever. They then train that dog most likely under the supervision of their trainer and or group, i.e. somebody was there helping, showing, mentoring, teaching, counseling, and, and trying to make this process successful with a new dog so nobody got injured or, you know, family, whatever. Now it's all on you, right? So do you have the background to even one, select a good dog or two, house a wide open 
crazy ass dog. And this is very real money we're talking about, you know, without going, you know, specific dollars and everybody has different hookups and everybody firmly believes that their deal's the best and they pay the lowest and yada, yada, yada. We all know that's probably not true, but let's just say rough numbers to get a dog in country, a totally green 12 to 18 month old dog in country. You're looking at a minimum $5,000. Okay. By the, by the time you're, you're clearing customs, you've paid for the flight you've got the dog is 12 to 18 months old. And that's on a good day. Some people pay a lot more. I'm sure some people pay way less, but now you're in that ballpark. So let's just say you got to sit on the dog for two, three months and this all requires food, vet care. You got to get it cleared, yada, yada, yada. And let's just assume the x-rays are good and they're not fake. And you don't look at the x-ray and it says bubble, but your dog's name is Leroy. You know what I'm saying? So let's just assume all that was good and you don't have to pay extra money on top. Now you sit on the dog for two months. Well, how much are you going to sell the dog for, right? So dual purpose market, it, it varies all over the country. Uh, some places in the West Coast pay 10 grand uh, for a dual purpose dog. That ain't happening in DC metro area. And DC metro area has money. So here, you know, the dual purpose market is 7,000 to 8 to 8.5. So that's that's in that window, 7 to 8.5. If you go above it, maybe you could justify it, but it's going to have to be where like trainers and county staff and all these different people say yes. Um, but let's just say it's on a really good day. You sell a dual purpose dog for $8,500. Well, first you take off the 5,000 you invested. Then you have to assign a monetary value to every day the dog was in a kennel for 60 days that you sat on the dog, also taking away food and all this. So if your profit was 3,500 and now you take away your actual on top cost, what did you make? A thousand bucks, $1,500 if you're lucky. That's on now you got to do it a hundred times. Exactly. So if you want to make real money, how many dogs are you actually going to have to import and sell to actually make real money? Tremendous amount of dogs. Tremendous. Tremendous. And it's yep. never going to happen in, in, in the real world. Depends when that dog washes out. Go ahead. Uh, as Eric says it all the time. And one of the guys that we want to have on the show from Gold Coast, you know, and, and Eric repeats this all the time. And Rodney Sr., you know, people buy dogs in this industry based on relationships. So, absolutely. Um, you know, you'll have one county that doesn't have a dog and they go to the county over that has a dog or the city, you know, the big city that has a county that has a dog and they're like, oh, where'd you get your dog from? And you're like, you know, shithead canine and wherever. And they're like, oh, we're happy with our dog. Well, little they know, they don't know shit either. So you've got two idiots selling a dog to somebody that has no idea and they don't know, right? So, right. you know, I mean, and that's what I tell people all the time. Like if, if, if it was literally a performance thing, right? Like you don't see departments carrying high points. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. if, if it was literally a performance thing, there would be no bad police dogs. But the problem is people buy dogs based on relationships in this industry. And this, like I'll go back to how we started after we got out of the commercial is, you know, your people are well known in their little circle of like, if there's some dude in random Kentucky, like, you know, and for a six or eight or 10, or maybe even a 15 County square area, people know that dude, but he goes to try and sell a dog. Like for instance, where I'm at and people are gonna be like, who the fuck are you? Like you're some random ass dude from backwoods, Kentucky. We're not going to buy a dog from you. Why the fuck are we buy a dog from you? And they're like, oh, I've been a canine handler for 15 years. And they're like, well, I got a dog. I got a dude two counties over that was a canine handler for 16 years. So he's a year better than you. So it is literally about relationships. It's not about performance. It's not about anything else. And then like Eric just mentioned, you know, I've got guys that are close to me, guys that are my handlers that have, they're like, oh, I'm going to get into canine after I get out. I'm like, oh, really? So, you know, you place four dogs and you give a guarantee of three years and you do that for five years in a row and all of a sudden you got 20 dogs out of five years. So at that point, you got a liability of about six dogs. If any one of those six goes down at any point in time, 
then you know you're looking at a liability of about you know four to nine thousand dollars in outlay at a single point in time and that's assuming it's only one so as it increases it goes up exponentially so when you start selling the amount of dogs that say like mid-sized kennels do like guys that are my size or guys that are like Bradshaw's size at Ted Tar Heel or guys that are like Lazaro down in Florida like guys that are selling you know 60 80 90 100 dogs a year and you're looking at liabilities outlaying for five years during the warranty period and you repeat that over five year time and you start to average it at any point in time you're sitting at about two hundred fifty thousand dollars if 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 all of them were into warranty came in at the same time that's two hundred fifty thousand dollars in fucking dogs and you're like where the fuck am i even if you had the money right now where the fuck are you gonna get them so (laughs) you're you're gonna blow the i mean what you're saying is is it's going to be a lot for some people to absorb because it's it's until it's your money and see that's the equalizer and and i talk to a lot of cops when it's your money shit gets very real very quickly and when it's department's monies when it's department's money so it doesn't sound correct when it's a department's funds it's no brainer oh no big deal like i like i said send them back to the buy a new dog do this when it's your bank account attached to these things buy a new dog do this when it's your bank account attached to these things buddy it's a it's a it's a very nerve-wracking feeling which again i didn't have the balls um or the courage to get into that heavy. I had the connections. Uh, I had the ability to move uh, not nowhere near those numbers of dogs. I, I could easily push probably 25 a year if I really hustled on it. But to me, being a starter out, it was very risky uh, business for me. So we we chose uh, to stick with the pets and to get into the pet market hot and heavy. And um, it's truly changed our life. And uh, you know, one of the things that I'm going to go over at the Blue Line seminar is ways to monetize and ways to hustle and there's a, a couple rules and I, and I think it would also apply to your business Ted and correct me if I'm wrong and for sure to uh, Eric's business and some of the things that we've talked about offline over the last couple of months start and even me to this day I have one rule when I tell us to our other locations and the guys on there anything is better than zero when you start okay if, if, if oh, you're yeah. not making money if you're not making profit then you are your business will not last you have to make revenue when it comes to making revenue as long as it is legal and ethical, nothing is off the table as far as I'm concerned, okay? So, for example, I hate boarding dogs. I hate it. Uh, it's work. It's not that much money involved. And I've got to board, you know, six dogs uh, to make $350 a day. Six dogs, right? Guess what? Yeah, well, that's $350 a day times 30 days a month. I mean, that's like... Right. So, yeah. but you see, it, it requires work. But... I will do it every day. I will always have dogs boarding, okay? When it comes to transports, transports can be a pain in the ass. And I have to—I don't have time to drive, so I, I pay somebody else to do it for me. So it's not a lot of profit on it. However, it brings in a client, makes a couple hundred bucks profit. I pay somebody else a couple hundred bucks, and the transport pays a cost of the van. So anything is better than zero. If a client calls me and has a weird request, and I know, you know what, I might not even make money on this, but I might make $50 profit, but it might cost me too much. I will still do it most of the time to retain that client relationship, knowing that in the future, I'll make it back, right? When it comes to selling dogs, I don't make a lot of money on top of selling dogs, especially to civilians. I I really don't. I charge maybe a couple hundred dollars for my time, and I try to give them the dog as low a cost as possible, knowing that they will come back for board and train. They will come back for protection training. They'll come back for this training where I'll make money long term. Always, always, always do anything you can 
can do to retain clients and get new clients. Um, I tell a lot of guys getting into the business, man, anything's better than zero and do as much as you can for free. Do work for free and it will pay for itself a hundred times over on the back end. We have very deep pockets in the DC metro area. There's some people here that might drive to your location at F-150 that's 10 years old, but they're multimillionaires, right? So never judge a book by its cover. Always take the time to talk to people. Always take the time to give good customer service. Listen, stop talking and fucking listen to what the client needs. This is the biggest misconception in uh, the pet world that people want uh, sit down, stand, spin left, spin right, and walk in the heel. In reality, 99% of pet owners don't give two shits about that. They want the dog to stop jumping on the uh, visitor, get off the couch, stop knocking over the trash can. But you'll never know if you're running a cookie cutter operation because you'll basically lump somebody into you know, class ABC. This is the program for that behavior. I had a feeling day one, minute one, that that would bankrupt us. So with our programs, it's as a trainer, stop talking, listen to the client, let the client tell you what the problems are, and then train the dog in front of you. I don't give a shit how many dogs you've trained, train the dog in front of you for the issues the client cares about. Make it a personal relationship. Uh, Ted, you mentioned earlier about relationships. They're fucking key. They are key. I sold a dog last week because uh, Eric Stambro met somebody at a seminar that he did for police. And I think through that friendship, this guy said something about needing an explosive dog. I happen to have a high-end explosive dog. Through that relationship, triangulated and boom I sold a dog to some guy I never met before never heard of before I heard of him but I never met him uh, he's kind of bigger in the south I'm not I'm not from that area so relationships are key in small business um, man I'm getting motivated just talking about this stuff I could I could, I could talk about small business and monetization um, you guys are getting me motivated so, go ahead so talk real quick um, we're not you know we don't give away business secrets or anything like that but um, to give the guy who's really really his heart's in the right place and he really is is on track to maybe you know put in the work and put in the hours what give him something to read or somebody to watch online you know maybe on some youtube videos to either the a book about the business or some videos about nice. training pets maybe a canine guy that's never done it before anything like that yeah so what i would tell what i tell everybody to ask me this and i get a lot of emails and uh stupid uh, dm messages about stuff like this i tell everybody first and foremost manage your expectation okay you're not going to be a millionaire tell yourself that you will not be a millionaire first and foremost maybe you do but that's just icing on top right manage your expectations start small okay and keep your fucking day job don't fucking quit your job maintain your employment very few people are going to do what we did and be successful at it if they quit. Now, once you decided to have your side hustle, start small. Make a make a low goal that you can definitely hit. Tell yourself, I want to make 40 bucks a day, seven days a week, 30 days a month. I want to, I want to have $40 of revenue a day and that will change uh, my weekend grocery bill. If I can make 280 bucks a week, I can pay for the groceries. This will help. Now, when you actually make 50 bucks a day, you feel like you're succeeding. Start small, okay? Give yourself manageable and, and obtainable goals and then make your fucking self hit the goals. If you set a goal, you must hit it. There's no fucking failure. If you set a goal of making $100 profit a day, but you can't quite hit it, then fucking do more. If you only wanted to board two dogs, but in your area, in your region, you can only get 35 dollars a day to board 
then guess what? You got to board fucking three. There's there's no other option. Like, don't make excuses why you're not generating money. If I can make $100 for a transport in the DC metro area and you can only make $50 for that same transport in Pennsylvania, guess what? Do it for fucking $48. Give somebody a good deal and be happy that you have business because that same person paying you $48 might tell two of their friends and now you just made $120 on three transports a day instead of one. The problem is this. Everybody assumes they're worth more than they're worth. They get out of police and they get out of the military. They, they've trained a dog in either war and right away they think that they deserve, you know, Bart Ballone money for a seminar or Michael Ellis, like you mentioned, for a seminar. And it's like, dude, those guys have been doing this for 30 years. The first one to tell you that they ate shit for the first 15 of that. Yeah, 100%, right? Uh, yeah. I don't know all of Bart Ballone's uh, priors, but I do know that he went uh, a roller coaster on finances for a, a couple things. Yeah. And, and I've sat in Bart's classes. I think he's an absolute genius. Uh, I think his wife, Michael, could actually, by all definitions, maybe even be a better dog trainer than him. But as a team, oh, man, absolutely. they're a really solid team for, for adult training. Yeah. Um, but don't don't assume you're worth what you're not. Like I like I said, it just happened that I had been training dogs for free for a couple of years before I ever started revenue. And then when I started making revenue, I didn't even have a business. So when I went live with the business, I was already quote unquote at a very small scale established, right? Then I had to scale the business to meet the need. And that's a whole different conversation. Start small, maintain your goals, manage your expectations so that you can succeed. But once you make a goal, buddy, you better do whatever it takes to hit that fucking goal. Failure is not an option. I'll give you a short little story and then we'll talk about what your question was, Eric, on what to read. A buddy of mine started a business here recently, took out a $90,000 loan. I told him, you are fucking crazy. You, this is, this is a horrible fucking idea. Ask me if I wanted to invest. Holy shit, that's a lot of money. Like, it's a lot of money for somebody without a job too. He gets this loan. Yeah, somehow the bank approves a loan for this business, basically a transportation business. And, um, to this day, man, he hasn't done one transport. So this is, you know, it's, 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 it's falling apart around him. Um, I've, I've, now this is the, the bad side to it. He has a Facebook page. I have told him a million, I mean, hours on the phone, hours at my kitchen table, drinking coffee, showing him how to monetize time. How do you get in front of somebody? You have to appeal. You have to do this. But in his brain, he thinks the clients are going to come to him. You see, he thinks that his idea is so smart, so effective that they're going to start pouring into him. And it's just a matter of time, man. No, that's a feel. That's a feel of dreams fallacy. Yeah, that is. That's it. And it, and it, it statistically will fail. So like stay with the numbers, man. If you're not on your computer putting your content in the hands of your clients through post after post after post look at my instagram account i have fuck all on instagram a couple thousand followers but i have over almost 450 posts and i'm going to continue to post and continue to post until it grows organically now we make no money on, on instagram all our money comes off facebook but i will continue to show the respect to that platform knowing it's doing nothing for me now but at some point i could come across a millionaire and that, that, that old saying like you, one person may have a thousand clients and one person may have one, but if that one person's client is like Oprah Winfrey, well, buddy, you just hit the fucking lottery, right? So like, you you, you never know the impact or the outreach of what you're doing, but, but shame on you if you're not putting the information out there. Now, as far as books, I'm a big believer in Gary Vander, Vanderchuk. Um, Gary V is his social media presence. Um, right. He's a, he's an awesome story, uh, a little bit brash here and there, but he, he's actually incredibly intelligent and his businesses, you know, speak to that. Um, his books are, are very good. Crush It is the old book. And it, it's really funny if you go, it's about 10 years old now, but everything he said in Crush It has come to tuition. Uh, his new book, Crushing It, just came out. 
uh, great book. There's like 10 books in between those two. Um, this is a guy who's a multimillionaire. He's not making money on books. He gives most of them away. He puts the content out there. I mean, you, you could steal it in a heartbeat if you wanted to. But most that dude of what's puts so books, much out that you can't even fucking keep up with it between YouTube, Facebook, you Twitter, Correct. Instagram, yeah. Venmo. I mean, yeah. every platform I've never even fucking work. heard of. I mean, yeah. and so, yeah, I mean, the guy has a team of people that do that. And, yeah. you know, and where just to kind of like circle back to all of this, his entire message is that he creates value by giving information away to people for free on whatever Done. this platform Done. is. Yep. Because he does that, they feel beholden to him or at least that they owe him something. So even if they owe him an opportunity... I mean, in yep. our industry, even if it's an opportunity. So say you spend a shitload of time posting all this content that doesn't suck. If somebody sees it and the only thing it generates is an opportunity to get in front of somebody, then it's done its job. But the problem is, or well, the thing is that he, they, you create all this content and you put it out there and people see it and they feel like they owe you something. If even nothing more than saying, okay, well, I'm going to reach out to you and send you an email and be like, I, and it's a police department saying, we're interested in looking at a dog. What do you have? green what do your handler courses look like blah 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 blah, blah right but the only reason they're That's doing that is money, because you've posted a video and they feel like they owe which you. can yeah, be money you're you're on the the successful end of it but i think most people would take a decade to build the way you just kind of referenced as far as apartments reaching out my goal to young guys coming into this is get one client buddy just get right. one person that says yes you can board my dog for whatever the going rate for your area and then cut the going rate in half give them a better service for cheaper money and make a damn relationship i board dogs in the dc metro area for 50 bucks a day that is a 50 bucks all-inclusive price five walks clean kennel free time the average kennel in dc metro that does the same thing i do charges over 125 dollars a day for the same service holy shit now hundred percent, buddy. They had they call them pet resorts. They're all over the place. Every you know, Fuck, when you I'm go gonna stay. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's an a la carte menu, right? So you go in and it's forty bucks for a basic boarding, but every walk is an additional twenty five dollars. Free times fifteen bucks. They have all kinds of a la carte stuff. So with us, we said flat rate. We're gonna crush their price. We're gonna give fifty percent off and give more for less, but establish long term clients, right? So you can't board at Richside Canine unless you give me a two and a half to three month notice. We stay booked up on boarding indefinitely, right? And we've created a niche for working dogs. There's a tremendous amount of working dogs. When I say working dogs, that's everything from Labradors to GSPs to fucking service dogs, you name it, it's a working dog. We stay booked out on board. You can't get in here if you want to. We stay booked out. I could probably increase our prices to 75 to $85 a day for what we do per dog and nobody would bat an eye on it. But I don't need it. I won't do it because I want to keep that feeling of like better quality, cheaper price, personal relationship. Um, and because of that, we want. I mean, we, we've stood the test time now. This is the this is the this is the business lesson. I give away boarding for cheap. To some people, fifty dollars might sound expensive. For what we do, it's cheap. What I rely on is that those boarding clients, when they come in and out of our facility, uh, Eric's been to our place. When when they come in and out of here, I meet them, I shake their hand, I offer them a cup of coffee, we talk about whatever they want to talk about for five minutes. I get their dog, and I know that when they have a friend who has an out of control dog, they'll say, "Hey, man, I know this guy Aaron with Richside Canine. He boards our dog, but he also trains dogs." And then that one. One cheap boarding just made me thousands of dollars on training. We're a big believer in relationships. We're a big believer in um, 
being as organic as possible. But for the guy starting out, just board one dog. And if you board that one dog, do it for better, do it for cheaper, and rely on the fact that that one client is going to tell his friend, who tells his friend, who tells his friend, that's how we did it. And next thing you know, you'll go from one client to two clients to three clients to four clients. And when you do that, don't get excited. Keep your fucking overhead to zero or low. Have two three crates, three crates, four crates. And then all of a sudden, one day you'll look back and you're going to say, damn, I just made a, a I'm, I'm making good money now. I'm, stock, I'm stockpiling good money. Maybe now that I have cash flow in hand, I can self-finance and build a little small kennel or rent a little small space or do something that's going to allow me to grow even more. But but do it slow, man. So many businesses fail and, and I, I hate to see cops lose money. My heart goes out to them. But uh, ego is a motherfucker and, and ego will tell you that you're really good and the market will tell you we don't care. And you got to so, You know, really this would be a good time to point out. We interviewed Bill Heiser from Southern Coast, who's one of our sponsors. Uh, we love Bill. And we interviewed Kenny, like Kenny, Kenny from Licklider. And um, both of those dudes told the story of how they started out, right? And Bill's story is just like you and Eric. He was a canine handler, handled for a while, trained a couple dogs on the side, got out, and now the motherfucker runs one of the largest facilities in the southeastern part of the country. And uh-huh. it didn't come from. And Eric, one of the if you go back and listen to the episode, one of the one of the questions Eric asked him, and I remember this because as you're talking, I was like, oh man. And he asked him, he's like, dude, did you ever think? And he didn't say dude because that's my thing. But he said, hey, did you ever think that um, you know you'd be in a facility now where you know where he had you know I don't know six I don't know what he said he said I had six or eight kennels or whatever it was and I was just selling some dogs here and there and now he's got I think they have sixty kennels if I remember right they have a lot I've been down wow. there twice it's an wow. awesome facility and their head trainer Danny's awesome he was also been on the podcast but um, you know I mean Bill kind of laughed he was like no. <laughs> He's like, no. And Eric's like, dude, do you ever like want to go back to the time? It was super simple. And, you know, it was just a couple dogs here and there and whatever else. And he was like, also, he said, no. <laughs> he was like, no, because now people do it for me. But, I mean, shit, that was 19. I think that was like 1987 or something when he did that. So, and it's 2000. I don't know. Like, what is it? 2018? I don't even know what year it is. So, yeah. And, you know, he said, you know, it's taken that long. And it didn't initially come quickly. But, you know, I mean, it was it's a what you're saying is very very poignant so you know i mean it's very relatable and we've had two people in our industry that are fucking huge have the exact same story i mean everybody knows who von yeah. lick is i mean you know they own a fucking town so i mean yeah. you know and ken started out sort of the same way granted you know there was a couple of things that were a little different but by and large i mean it was the same thing i mean dude he was in the air force and he was like oh i'm gonna train dogs you know and he sounds like chris farley he's fucking awesome and then he's like uh, and then all of a sudden it is he is where he is so it didn't happen overnight though yeah and and, and that's kind of my fear for a lot of younger guys um and, and i consider myself young i mean I'm, I'm right at 40 but i still consider myself you know very young into into this but a lot of younger guys see those big names and they don't realize man like for every one big name you see i assure you there's about a hundred closed down kennels um there's a thousand 
run-of-the-mill trainers that didn't succeed. So it's like you have got to play the odds in your favor. And instead of trying to tell yourself you want to make a, a, a million dollars on dogs, tell yourself you want to make 10 grand a year on dogs. And then once you hit that 10 grand, I want to make 25 grand. And then once you hit that, let's go to 50 grand. Make manageable increases that you can be successful with and that can motivate you. Because if you go out and say, you know what, for my business model, I need to make $150,000 my first year into this. And you, and you only make 75 grand, well, fuck your failure, you know? And if you set the bar so high and you spent so much money starting this, you're going to fail, you know? However, if you kept the bar manageable and you kept overhead low and you agreed to, to you know what, tonight I'm going to eat fucking ramen noodles and a fucking peanut butter and jelly sandwich because I want to pay cash for these kennels I'm going to buy and not have to get a $10,000 loan. Well, shit, man, now you made 75 grand, you feel like a rock star. So you've got to be able in small business to, to really understand most small, small businesses fail. They fail because of revenue, right? So money's a very real thing. Never get into that weird shit like, uh, you know, uh, I, I do this for the love and, and I, if that's the case then run a nonprofit. do shit for free like for real like do it for free run a nonprofit. but you can do it for love but if you can't pay your bills you're going to get screwed if you go out and buy a huge van and you know the the van is leased and the building is rented and you're still paying your mortgage and you have a bad month you know one bad month can be one big problem so my only advice is low guys man is if you're not a self-motivated person walk away don't start shit with small business if you're not willing to sacrifice everything walk away if you're not willing to keep telling yourself over and over that failure is real and failure can come and if you don't hustle failure might sneak up on you real quick you know what i mean like you have got to hustle content if you're not willing to push content don't get into any small business in 2018 because content is the the the, the greatest equalizer is content everybody has a smartphone smartphones take pretty damn good pictures and can take phenomenal video in, in 2018 if you're not pushing good content walk away if you're taking blurry ass uh jj sebastian from proven k9 um i love the guy's been in my house we bust his balls all the time because he takes blurry ass photos. So JJ, I know you're going to listen to this podcast because you listen to all of them. I was just on the phone with you today talking about some upcoming stuff in March that we may do together. And you take horrible photos. Like, stop doing that, JJ. Take some good damn photos. That's because he's so tall. Yeah, he's a super cool guy. Uh, guys, follow him. I'm trying to give him a good shout out. Uh, go to his Facebook page, go on his website. They, he sells some really good police dogs. Uh, he's just in Bumfuck, Arizona, or now he's down in Texas. Uh, he's, in nah, Texas. he's in Amarillo now. He's in Amarillo. Yeah, so yeah. Bumfuck again area. But uh, he does have some really good uh, access to good Malinois. So follow JJ, uh, Proven K9 LLC. Anyway, back to my story. Take Make good content, man. Um, it turns people off. I mean, this is the digital age. People consume content at a rapid rate. Uh, the younger generation who, who are purchasers and clients of yours at this point consume information very rapidly. And if they come across poor content, it's swipe left and keep moving. You've got to grab somebody in one fucking second and have them stop and look at that. Um, I've gotten on Eric before uh, about some pictures he posted and I quick, uh, grabbed the photo. I docked, uh, I docked the photo up in like a couple milliseconds, sent it back to him and said, I, I think I remember Eric, I sent you two photos, the yeah. one you took and then an edited version of it. I said, which one grabbed your brain? 
He said, yeah, this is a good point. These are things you got to learn. Now, when you're getting into business, I don't believe in the mentorship thing all that much, but I do believe in surrounding yourself with successful people. You have no time for uh, energy suckers. You have no time for people that are negative Nancy's. Uh, you got to cut them off. You got to just legitimately walk away from them. And people might say it's fucked up, but I say it's fucked up that you bring me down all the goddamn time. So like surround yourself with positive people. Find people that are successful in the business that you want to get into and be willing to do anything to get their ear. Uh, there's a countless number of people that I've went direct with and, and talked to on the phone that uh, maybe I gave them a little bit of information about um, a, a, a camera or a video camera, something as simple as that. And they gave me some crucial information about taxes or uh, how to put you know, conditioning on a dog or, or some method that they use. You got to be willing to trade, uh, protect your business, protect your secrets, but also don't be afraid to find people that are as successful or more importantly, more successful than you are. And, and try to create a relationship, a dynamic with them. Yeah, man, I could, I mean, now you, you guys are motivating me. I need to go outside and go for a run or something. <laughs> <laughs> go work a dog. Go, go work a dog. All right. You know what? We, I knew when we get this, this would be, um, this is a great podcast. You know, we're working dog radio, we're working dog, you know, and what, what better way to talk about working dogs and actually working dogs and in, in a business. And there's a lot of people that get into it. And I'm, there's a lot of good information here that maybe get some folks to take a step back and maybe slow their roll a little bit, um, or maybe give some good consideration. I would expect Aaron for your, uh, inbox to start blowing up about Facebook content probably more than likely uh, when this not. airs yeah <laughs> uh, you know that that is what it is and knowing you you'll you'll look and answer every one of them um, so where where can folks find you on social media where, where should they be looking you can just google Ridgeside Canine it'll pull everything up but we have uh, we're on Facebook YouTube Instagram we have a website uh, 99% of what we do is on Facebook unfortunately uh, we, we have a very small Instagram presence we do cross post a lot onto uh, YouTube for the YouTube channel and uh, Facebook is that man. I'm going to tell a 30 second short Eric Stambro story I, I just thought about. So if you guys don't know, uh, Eric Stambro went to the hits uh, seminar uh, just a couple months back, six months back. I don't, I don't know. So Eric did the K nine uh, phone call, right? I get a random phone call. Hey man, what's going on? Nothing much, man. What's good with you? Oh, I just want to talk dogs for a minute. All right, cool. I'm really busy. But what's up? Oh, nothing, man. Hey, I'm kind of in your neck of the woods. Uh, you got any kennel space? Nope. I ain't got no kennel space at all. We're booked out. Oh man. Well, I got some crates. Oh, cool. You got some crates. What do you need? Oh, I just got three dogs, man. If you don't mind real quick, I just want to throw some, throw some dogs in your kennel. Cause I'm going to be in a city and truth be told they, they were in a, a very dangerous area to be quite honest with you. And, um, it wasn't I that said, well, bad. Shit, man, that's no problem. <laughs> PG County has quite a few homicides. About it wasn't that bad. Anyway, so next thing I know, here comes Eric's van pulling up the driveway. I'm like, damn, you're kind of close, man. Like, you could give me a little bit of a heads up. He says, oh, it's all cool. It's, it's, it's all good, man. But hey, uh, here's three three dogs. And I said, okay, stop. Like, I need a safety brief because there's three fucking mountain walls that I'm unfamiliar with coming in the kennel. And I didn't have any indoor-outdoor runs open, so they were all going to be crated, which means I got to put a physical leash on these bastards at some point. And um, I say, hey, so what's the uh, what's the safety brief? He said, oh, this little dog's a pup, man. It's totally cool. I'm thinking, okay, well, puppies, uh, okay. Any training? No, he's pretty wide open. And uh, don't make eye contact. And be, 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 be easy on harsh corrections. And you should be fine. It's totally cool. So I'm like, okay, there's definitely some safety concerns with this dog. And uh, put another dog into a kennel. I said, what's the deal with this dog? Oh, this this dog's totally good, but it is like a certified ring dog, and he's got a hell of a bite. And um, 
Yeah, just just kind of go easy with them. Don't use a pinch. Use a flat. I'm like, Jesus Christ. And, don't uh, say yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That, don't I think say, that don't say the word yes. Don't say yes. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. That was actually in his fucking brief. He actually said that. And, of course, I'm a yes yeah. guy. So, yes is my mark and my release all the time. Yes. That's what I always fucking say. I'm like, oh, Lord, I'm going to get fucked up by this dog. And then it was a third dog. I forget the issues with that dog. And then just as quick as he came in, the motherfucker left. And here I am with three goddamn strange mountain walls in a fucking kennel. And I'm just like, how did this happen? That's the life of owning a kennel, fellas. So that's something to fucking think about. Yeah. When, 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 when you have a canine business, motherfuckers will pop in unexpectedly and they're going to need kennel space. But it's all good. Always keep open kennels, man. Always keep some fucking crates and help your friends out when you can. Never be above picking and up And I will come in and guys. sprinkle some pixie ducks on you and you'll never know. Like, in, <laughs> and you're like, where the fuck? What, what happened? What? What? And, yes, uh, that's exactly yeah. what happened. Yeah, pretty much. So, <laughs> and I don't have no, any of those dogs anymore. They're dogs. gone. <laughs> nice. Nice. All right, Ted, uh, where are you at, buddy? Uh, I'm on Facebook. Uh, that's not my business thing, though. So, Ted underscore Summers at uh, Instagram. And then, of course, we have working underscore dog underscore radio for the podcast. And then, of course, working dog dry goods and Torchlight Canine, letter K number nine, uh, on Instagram. And on Facebook for uh, the kennel side. Yeah. And then you're at where? Van S? I'm at Van S K9 on uh, Instagram. I use Instagram yeah. a lot because um, for the police side of the you're business. huge on Instagram. Yeah. My Instagram account is where I... Uh, put most of my police training stuff and it's at, honestly where I uh, get most of my clients from for the police side um, Van Ass Canine Academy on Facebook which has turned more into the uh, board and train pet side than anything um, and then uh, we at Working Dog Radio have a Patreon account uh, right. patreon.com or patreon.com look up Super Working smart. Dog Radio yeah on there yep. we have um, it's a subscription service it's, it's cheap it isn't expensive but you get tons and tons of exclusive content from Ted and I, mostly training videos where uh, we go over scenarios and different things. Um, we've got a series of videos on there that I put up with a green dog, the ring dog that uh, Aaron mentioned, uh, his first day on uh, protocol boxes for odor detection. And I think oh, yeah. I did three of those. Ted did a series on dust boxes. So there you have a couple different ways to maybe imprint dogs. Right, um, with the dog that bit me. Yeah, that one. Yeah, right. Nice. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> um, so we got that up there. We're going to have some exclusive great t-shirt offers coming up on there here real soon oh yeah that'll uh, be next price, week oh yeah the price for the shirts on patreon will be well worth the the cost of admission uh, versus everyone else and you guys will really like it but patreon.com is that a, is that a monthly radio. subscription or a yearly subscription for you guys it that's uh, monthly you can it's monthly yep uh, yeah, it's um, monthly. I, don't, I think you can opt to do it yearly. I have to go look at the other side of it. That's the other side that I don't see, but it's it's monthly for sure. So, you know what I mean? Yeah, we, we, nice. the folks on it like it. We do, uh, we've started doing some one-on-one uh, FaceTime videos or, or Skype videos uh, with people where we, you know, I'll do one with a guy or Ted will do one and we answer some questions, you know, some things that people have. Because, <clears throat> you, know, you know, Aaron and me, we were lucky in our career to have big training groups and lots of access to to um, resources and trainers and things where a lot of these guys are, are flying by the seat Most of the don't. pants and, yeah, yeah. and they, they just don't they just don't have any help and which is kind of the reason we started this whole podcast thing in the, in, to begin with anyway and the Patreon is kind of an extension of that so a lot of the people that are on there are handlers that are in a training group of six dudes <laughs> yeah and the, out of the six guys they've been handling a dog for three years and the most senior so 
I mean, they're literally like, oh, shit, like I need some help. And you're like, all right, well, I mean, what do you want? <laughs> so, I mean, it's a great resource in terms of that. I mean, I just finished editing all the video from Albany finally. Um, it's like, I think total I'm going to upload about half an hour or 45 minutes of video uh, from the brown hole scenario. And um, yeah. there's some other ones I just did from like night vision stuff, which I'll upload from St. Louis, which is going to be good. Cool. So, uh, Aaron, I loved it. Thank you. I'm glad we could able to get this straightened out. Yeah. And, and what does Working Dog, uh, not to throw a little plug here, but with uh, Working Dog Dry Goods, uh, your your better half, she's doing the oh. muzzles and, and this yeah. kind of things. And what, so that's another whole like entrepreneur level. We didn't have time to get into it. Oh. I would have been super curious to hear if, um, all those different directions on monetization. So she's, uh, she is the, uh, the driving force behind the podcast and behind Working Dog Dry Goods and behind uh, like a lot of the social media presence like if you're talking to torchlight working dog dry goods unless you're talking to me you're talking to her and sure. she is specific she has figured out a way to monetize social media and has it down to when i say a science i mean she is like she has that shit down like she knows the algorithms and everything else i mean she's she's got it down to a science and i mean aside from the fact she's super talented she's beautiful she's all these other things you know she's really really good at running the she's good at organizing you know herding cats and getting eric and i to get shit done so um and more specifically me at the kennel like me and scott like getting things done or where is this and where is that or where are you guys out here and I'm like oh I don't know and so I mean yeah so it, she's she's an entrepreneur at heart I mean you know you know she's a part of Working Dog Ride Goods she's a part of Torchlight she's a part of Working Dog Radio um, you know and she was part of some nonprofits that are no longer um, viable but I mean she's been involved in a lot of things and um, her her core skill is social media and she's also a damn good trainer in her own right. I mean, a good handler. Um, and I'm on your website right now and I'm actually blown away and I feel bad for not being here before. So I'm on Working Dog Dry Goods website as you're talking and I'm shocked at how much you're selling. There's a tremendous store on here. Oh yeah. It's pretty deep. It's pretty deep. Oh yeah. Um, we sell a ton of shit on there. Now, the website stuff I usually do just because of the coding that's co- and everybody's going to be like, oh, you're, you have spelling errors. I'm like, yeah, I'm a fucking dog here. Leave me alone. <laughs> like, I'm like, I know it's, I got spelling errors. What Whatever. Uh, yeah, I mean, we sell muzzles, and that's the thing we're known for is the muzzles that are painted. Um, you know, everybody, I mean, I, she sold, shit, I don't even remember now. Like, we were talking about the other day. I mean, my invoice numbers now don't really dictate it, but we're in, like, the 4,000-ish number in the last, I don't know, three or four years. So, she's done a that's lot awesome. of them. So, yeah, I mean, she did, she does about 30 or 40 of those a week on top of running all the social media and on top of doing everything else involved in running a business, which we didn't even really touch on. Which are a little bit like taxes, and which you know we both do, but then Jesus Christ. just business bullshit that has nothing to do with holding a leash or painting a muzzle. So yeah, it's a pain in the ass. Yeah, All right, boys. Well, I think it's that. a good. Uh, the yep. One thing, if you guys want to out there listening, want to be an entrepreneur, entrepreneur, remember there's not too, uh, there's no such thing as too many revenue streams. Branch out. Don't be a one trick pony, man. You got to. Uh, yeah. You got bills. You got bills to pay. Totally. Totally. Oh yeah. Proven canine. 
proven canine training, proven results, providing scenario-based training for law enforcement based on years of law enforcement and military service, creating dogs for scent detection, tracking, patrol, and obedience, national certifying official for all aspects of canine and canine-related work. Watch for seminars across the country, near your locations in Northeast New Mexico and Amarillo, Texas. Find us on Facebook and Instagram by searching Proven Canine Training, the letter K, the number nine, or at www.provendogtraining.com or give JJ a call at 417-844-5816. Tripwire mid. Everybody loves stuff that goes boom. And we couldn't talk about stuff that goes boom without talking about Tripwire Operations Group. They're some of the best in the industry at stuff that makes loud noises and blows stuff up. Specifically for guys in this podcast. For if you're handling an explosive dog or you're a trainer of an explosive dog, they have one of the most well-rounded, ready-to-go kits in the correct amounts and odors for any national standard or state standard certification. Head over to tripwireops.org to check it out. They're headquartered in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, and a group of first responders dedicated to serving first responders. They believe that the most highly trained and prepared first responders create a safer America. They prepare you guys and other first responders and military to protect our country by providing products, services, training, and relationships which together no one else provides. In fact, they've done several HME large hide courses recently, which is a really valuable thing for explosives handlers because you're not really able to get that much odor in one place at one time safely, and these guys do a fantastic job. Be sure to head over to tripwireops.org and check out the full list of classes they've got going on and have contact info there on the website. Again, tripwireops.org. Working Dog Radio is edited and co-produced by Dustin Wright at Bracket Designs. Be sure to hit him up at bracketdesigns.com for any branding or content-related work you have. We were graciously granted permission to use this rad music by Brother Deeg. Go buy him a beer at brotherdeeg, spelled D-E-G-E, dot blogspot.com, spelled D-E-G-E, or hit him up on iTunes, Amazon, CD Baby, or any other music streaming stores. Check the show notes for links to both of these creative geniuses.